That sounded funny, right? You heard that too, Devin. The guy on the other side of the glass. It's as though Simple Minds was speeding up mid-verse. Whatever. You get the point, right? (laughs) Uh, It's six minutes after nine on this uh, Wednesday morning, the 17th of January. I have no idea what's going on with any computer system in this place these days. But somewhere along the lines, a little gremlin got into that machine. If it if it reduced your enjoyment even a little bit, my apologies for that. But the point being, I had to play some Simple Minds today, which is a song that I'm sure you reflect upon fondly from the movie The Breakfast Club, right? It was a key part of the soundtrack to that movie. That movie, of course, in 1985. But we play... The Scottish Rockers, Simple Minds today, because it was on this day in 1978, yes, 46 years ago, at the Satellite Club in Glasgow, when Simple Minds made their live debut. And all of these decades later, we have watched Simple Minds go on to achieve five UK albums, chart number one albums, and sell more than 60 million albums worldwide. So a little bit of Simple Minds to begin our time together on this Wednesday, the 17th of January. Thank you very much for stopping by the show. Really appreciate you being here. Reach out anytime. Be a part of the fun. Engage in the shenanigans. 519-570-2545. Star 570. And one 800-570-5715. Email works as well, of course. Mike at 570news.com. But we prefer the telephone option. We like to hear from you. But nonetheless, send an email anytime if it's your preference. Mike at 570news.com. Or on the socials at Farwell underscore WR. That works for both X and Instagram. And our Facebook page is facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show. As we so often get to do on the morning after the night before, how about a little AM on AM in the AM? Matthews curls in the far corner, works it back now to Marner. Marner holds, sends it back to Matthews. He scores! 27 seconds into the game, Austin Matthews set up by Marner, and that will quiet things in the Rogers Center in Edmonton. Yes, it did, but only temporarily because not only Austin Matthews scoring, but the Leafs getting another goal to go up 2 nothing on the Edmonton Oilers and then the next four goals. One of them, albeit into an empty net, but still the next four goals all went Edmonton's way and uh-oh, that is four straight losses for the Toronto Maple Leafs, who fell 4-2 to Edmonton. The Oilers have now won 11, count them, 11 straight hockey games. And there are calls in Toronto. Are you kidding me? Of course I'm not kidding you, because these are the sorts of calls that start to come when your team loses four games in a row. Is it time to fire the coach? No, it's not time to fire the coach. Don't worry about it. Don't you worry about it. As our good friend, Mike the Moose, Reeves would remind us. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it, says Moosey. So we won't worry about it right now. However, 
The Leafs have lost five in a row. It is 9-10. It's the And let's take a look at your Farwell Show 5 for this 17th day of January. Number one, Ontario's Minister of Economic Development, Vic Fideli, came to the region yesterday. One of you even called during the show to say, hey, we heard that he was coming. What's going on? What's he doing here? What what kind of money is he giving out? Well, he gave out $14.9 million in funding. At least that was the announcement to help get quantum technologies to the market. This technology can be used in smartphones, drones, cars, cell towers, aircraft, and the like. So almost $15 million in provincial funding announced by the Minister of Economic Development, Vic Fideli, while he was in town yesterday. How would you like to be a cabinet minister, either provincially or federally? You come to a community, you leave $15 million behind, you go back home again. Like, that's not a bad gig if you can get it. It's also not a bad gig if you've got the $15 million to give up. Uh, Number two, on your Farwell Show 5 for this Wednesday morning, Restaurant Brands International, RBI. I know that you know it well. It's the parent company of Tim Hortons. And now it is buying the top U.S. franchisee of Burger King restaurants. The $1 billion deal is going to bring more than 1,000 Burger King restaurants into the restaurant brand's international portfolio. You want a double-double and a double-whopper? You just might get your wish. Number three, on your Farwell Show 5 for this Wednesday morning, we are, or we were, pardon me, reminded at last night's community town hall about our new hospital that the site for the hospital will be chosen by the end of March, at least that is the hope with the timeline shared by Carl Zare, who's on that selection committee panel. All of us have to put some realistic timelines in what we think will happen. Uh, in, in essence, from my perspective of the, uh, the panel looking for the site, uh, we have a timeline that um, by the, uh, the end of March, we hope to have recommended a site. All right. So by the end of March, the panel hopes to have recommended its site. And those timelines, I mean, we're dealing with a 10-year timeline overall to get this hospital ready. There were some really interesting questions asked last night around the need for 50 acres on the site, how we're going to sustainably fund this new super hospital, if you will. And that response from Carl Zerr came from a question asking, what's your greatest concern? And timelines were a concern when you have this, for Carl Zerr anyway, when you have this 10-year window, which sounds like a long time, but there will be benchmarks to hit along the way. I also thought it was really interesting when Ron Gagnon, who's the president and CEO at Grand River Hospital, said what concerns him the most is as we go through this process and there will be many people providing input, he says through his experience, Ron Gagnon does, the most dangerous thing you can do is is give somebody at the province or the provincial health ministry, uh, anybody doing the approvals, a reason to say no. So basically, make sure your ducks are always aligned 
and don't waver from the plan because if you give them a reason to say no, that's what they're looking for. I thought that was pretty interesting. But Carl Zare's response to what are you concerned about keeping on the timelines? But we were reminded last night that by the end of March, the site selection committee hopes to have identified the site for our new hospital. Number four on your Farwell Show 5 this morning. We are, of course, under an extreme cold weather warning. The forecast calling for these frigid temperatures to stay with us until at least Sunday. That's when we're looking at a high maybe around minus 5, which I know is not all that high, but compared to where we're at, we'll take a minus 5. And then, brace yourself for this, we might even climb back above zero sometime next week. So look forward to that, especially with this extreme cold this morning. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 this morning. As you heard in that 9 a.m. update with Mark Douglas, the Kitchener Rangers have a rare Wednesday night road game tonight in Guelph. So our entire listening community is coming together because I know we have many a loyal listener in the city of Guelph. We appreciate you for that. It's your storm you Guelph listeners, against our Rangers here in the region of Waterloo. You can, of course, listen live on City News 570 starting at 6.35. Me and Paul Fixter will be at the Sleeman Center to broadcast tonight's game. And oh my goodness, I never want to wish away time. And if you are the athlete, do not, by any stretch of the imagination, do not overlook the opponent directly in front of you. But how much fun is this whole week with the Kitchener Rangers? After the Guelph Storm game tonight, home and home at the Memorial Auditorium on Friday and then at Budweiser Gardens on Saturday afternoon for a 4 o'clock start. It's the Rangers and the Knights going back to back. What a week for the Kitchener Rangers. Guelph, London, and London. And that is your Farwell Show 5 for this Wednesday morning, the 17th. Of January, it is nine sixteen. Have you heard? I, I suspect that you have, but let's let's talk about this a little bit. The end of the fifty percent discount on perishable foods. You know where you can get the meats or the fruits and vegetables, the other produce, as they are nearing their best before dates. And Loblaws has said, you know what, this uh, discount is coming to an end. And and some say that maybe, just maybe, this should be attracting the attention of Canada's Competition Bureau. Not only that, but an organization that represents seniors in this country says, hang on a second here. This is being, this, this is even more difficult for those seniors who live on tight budgets and have come to rely on on those 50% discounts. They they shop for them deliberately. You take those away and all of a sudden you are arbitrarily increasing the grocery bills for those older people who are working on much tighter budgets. Is this something that should attract the attention of the Competition Bureau? Is this going to change your grocery budget? I'll just add to the whole conversation. Best before does not mean bad after. Like, I, but I'm I'm pretty loosey goosey when it comes to that sort of thing. If it smells okay, if it's not wilting too terribly, it's going down my gullet. However, this one, it's it's a bit of a bitter pill to swallow, isn't it? Is it all about profits when it comes to the grocery stores? They don't seem to be able to do anything right. 
let me know your thoughts. We'll take your calls right after this on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. It's what industry experts refer to as conscious parallelism, which is the ability of competitors to watch what others are doing and then copying that practice, which, in fact, is not at all illegal, according to Jennifer Quaid, who's an associate professor of law who specializes in competition at the University of Ottawa. She says the fact that you watch what's going on in the market and you copy your competitors is not a criminal collaboration because there's no decision to get together and do something. This is in response to calls by some to say, hey, we've got to look into what Loblaws is doing here. The Competition Bureau might need to investigate this a little further because all of a sudden, when we're struggling with the cost of groceries, the 50% discounts on near-expired items, meat, produce, etc., is being eliminated. And at least one seniors organization is saying you're being unjustly unfair to seniors who might be on tighter budgets. I I, I don't know. If if you're coming up with phrases like conscious parallelism to defend the elimination of a discount, well I, I think that I might raise an eyebrow or two. Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five. Star five seventy one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen. Kyle, good morning. Good morning, Mike. <clears throat> I want to comment on the cold thing. It's so cold that we had to actually stop eating our metal cutlery because we were walking around for days with spoons and forks stuck to our tongue. <laughs> no, no. The only person that has the spoon in his mouth is Justin Trudeau. What's the matter with you? Oh, I'm so. <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? Why? It's so Why? Cold. It's so cold that hitchhikers were holding up pictures of thumbs just because it's so cold outside. Did you did you read like a bunch of it's so cold jokes off the internet before calling this morning? I could have. Okay. I could have also just said it's so cold out that people have uh, frozen smiles to their faces because it's so cold outside. <laughs> that would be nice. I like smiles. Smiling's my favorite. Yeah. Anyways, I uh, I'm I'm looking forward to just even just one degree would be nice for next week. You know. So. <laughs> thanks, there, Mike. Have a good day, my friend. All right, Kyle. Thanks for the call. You know what? After jokes like that, you go to the box. You know. You feel shame. I don't know if I should actually blame Kyle for any of that because. If there's anybody who makes more than the occasional bad joke on this program, it would be yours truly. And I like the way, by the way, that Kyle said, even if it gets to one degree next week, he'll be happy. As opposed to saying plus one. You might remember last week on the flip side, which we do every Thursday morning at 1130, uh, we were having some fun with the words and or phrases we would like to never hear again. And one that I didn't get to, it came in via email, and we were just so busy on the phones. But I think it was Michelle who emailed to Mike at 570news.com. Why do we always say plus when it's above 
zero. Like, I understand the minus part, but why do we have to say plus? Why can't it just be four degrees or eight degrees or 17 degrees? Why does it have to be plus four, plus six? We tend to do that in the wintertime. I like where Kyle went. He just said, even if it's one degree, he doesn't have to tell us it's plus. He would have told us if it was minus, you see? Anyway, let's go back to the phones and say good morning to Chris. Hello, Chris. How's it going, Mike? Not bad, thanks. How's it going with you? No, I'm doing pretty good. I watched the CTV news about this. Uh, Zares removing 50% off. Yeah. They're not removing it. They're lowering the discount. So, Well, they're, they're the spreading wording... it out to other places, right? Is that what's going on? Yeah, no. <laughs> they're not giving us any other discount in any other places. They're just <laughs> taking the 50% and making it 30 So the wording of removing or eliminating 50%, they're really not doing... Well, they are. No, because the hang on. It, like the 50% is gone. It. Yeah, but they're not eliminating discounts. They're just lowering the discount that you get. But but they are eliminating the fifty percent discount. And that that's I think that's fair. I I think I get where you're coming from though. Like I hear you. So maybe maybe we're uh, picking a nit here. Is what you're saying? Like be happy with your thirty percent discount. Oh, I, I'm not happy with the thirty percent. I much prefer <laughs> the fifty percent, but I'm well, not picking your nit. <laughs> I get you. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks, Chris. Mike. Yeah, appreciate the call as always. So I guess it does get into a little bit of semantics, right? It is true the 50% discount is gone. They're replacing it with a 30% discount. But I think it's still fair to say that the 50% discount is history. However, you will still get, according to Chris, your 30% discount. Last time I checked, a 30% discount was less than a 50% discount. But we'll just leave it at that. I think Chris makes a fair point. And we will move on to other things because we have so many other things to talk about on the show today, including the big boxification of Service Ontario centres. It's not just Staples, it's also Walmart. And if that doesn't chafe your chaps enough that there will be Service Ontario kiosks inside big box retailers in Ontario, how about the fact that your tax dollars will help Walmart retrofit its stores? <laughs> we'll talk about that uh, just after 11 this morning, so about 90 minutes from now. In just over 30 minutes from now, after the 10 o'clock news, some strangers known as the housing helpers come together to help a man who had been living in his truck and help him find some stable housing. And following this update from the City News Centre, let's talk about regional government and the review of these regional governments across Ontario, what I'm calling the Regional Governance Roadshow, comes to Kitchener tomorrow. And one of the people who will be speaking at it joins us for a conversation next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. calling it the Regional Governance Roadshow. I read a story out of Niagara Region last week where this roadshow had been previously, and tomorrow it is our turn in the region of Waterloo, and specifically in Kitchener, where at the Crown Plaza, the Standing Committee on Heritage, Infrastructure, and Cultural Policy, 
We'll hear from a number of speakers, including our next guest right here in studio, who is Tim Jackson, the CEO of Shad Canada. Good morning, sir. Always good to see you. Morning, Mike. (laughs) Always a pleasure to see you, too. It's not lost on me that the group to whom you will be speaking tomorrow is a standing committee overseen by the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing, but the ministry itself and, and Paul Calandra, the minister, is not going to be here. Does that disappoint you in any way? It does. I think that this is the government saying they, they made a commitment to uh, going out to uh, multiple uh, jurisdictions, m- multiple municipalities, um, to uh, to look at what might be possible. Um, I think they're backtracking a little bit, but but saying we had a commitment to go and hear from these municipalities. So I think the reform that we were hoping would happen across the province uh, is not in the cards. Uh, but I think our hope is that tomorrow we can at least get the standing committee to say perhaps in Waterloo Region there's uh, something we should be doing to uh, uh, to create change, even if it's not part of a broader uh, provincial strategy. And at minimum, of course, it's incumbent upon you and, and those that you have worked with to advocate for change in this community for many years now to appear and make your case tomorrow. Absolutely. It uh, would not, not make any sense to forego the opportunity. I don't want anyone to be able to say, well, you had your chance and didn't speak up. So I think it's very important that uh, the community speak up tomorrow and that uh, that me and others that have a, a view around why municipal government for this region would be the best path forward to take the opportunity to let the, the members of the legislature know that tomorrow. What what brings you to that point of view, Tim, that that one regional government is the best thing for this community? You know, I've lived and worked in this region uh, collectively and studied for now more than 25 years and have raised a family uh, in the region. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to uh, to raise a family, uh, to work. Um, but we just have not met our potential. And I think that uh, we're going to hear tomorrow from a lot of people who say our current system works. We make it work. And I think that idea that we have to say, well, we make it work is just unfortunate. Uh, we shouldn't have to make things work. Uh, they should just work. And I think this is an opportunity to say what's possible. What could be different if we were one municipal government uh, for the region? So instead of uh, working with the, the current system, which is uh, eight municipal governments, uh, 59 uh, municipal politicians sitting in 66 seats, uh, what if we did it uh, collectively, said there was one government, uh, one plan for the region, one path forward? Uh, it would eliminate, uh, I think, an awful lot of time that we, time, money, and, and resources that we spend with what are simply inefficiencies uh, in the current system. What what do you believe, Tim, holds us back from getting to where, and I, I think I've been clear on this over the years, so folks know where I stand, but I'm completely in agreement with your position on this. What holds us back here? I think the, just the human nature is that uh, if you are a bunch of separate entities, you put the, the vested interest of those entities first. And I do think people have great intentions around saying we, we can work together. Um, but it leads to a whole bunch of inefficiencies, and it's inefficiencies both at the uh, municipal level and then for people in our community. So, for example, take during COVID. Um, I thought it was uh, was comical when a media release came out talking about the closure of parks and other facilities, uh, and it listed eight different communications professionals. And I'm told behind the scenes the amount of work that had to happen to get eight different people to sign off on something as simple as we're closing the parks because of COVID. Now, that's, a, that's an example. But then you multiply that by the number of times things happen in the community. I have been very fortunate to chair 
uh, boards of, of several nonprofit organizations, things like the Food Bank, the Museum, Center in the Square, uh, one of the public libraries. And so we don't have a plan for the region for arts and culture and for our social services. So I actually think it's a detriment to the, the most vulnerable in our community. So as an example, if you lead uh, one of those organizations and you have a plan for the future of that organization and how it can help uh, vulnerable uh, members of our community, you have to go to eight different municipal councils. They only have to sit through one presentation, but you've got to do it eight times. And the challenge is if one of those councils says, well, no, we're not going to fund or we're not going to fund at the appropriate level, well, now you have a half-funded plan or a partially funded plan. And so I think that's why we end up in this in this region uh, with a bunch of institutions who are trying to do good, a bunch of organizations trying to help uh, those in our community, but they're all partially funded. I think it would be much better for the community if there's simply one place you went and that, organ- that you either got a yes or a no instead of all this, these half-funded uh, entities that we have. So that's just an example from, uh, from the nonprofit volunteer world um, where we make it work, but do we really make it work? And, and it's not so much making it work, it's what could we be if there was one plan, one vision, one voice for the community. I wonder if it's not the nonprofit sector that's starting to lead the way on this, Tim. I look at the Community Foundation, which is now the Waterloo Region Community Foundation. Uh, United Way as an umbrella is now the United Way of Waterloo Region Communities, etc. Well, and you've got multiple examples in the nonprofit sector, and I think that sector is leading the way, saying we're, we're just fed up of... Of, of what's happening. And we think this is the best way to, to serve the residents of this region. We've Those organizations view it as one region, not eight different uh, uh, municipalities or jurisdictions. Uh, and so I think if you think about what's important to this community going forward, um, you should, we should take the example of what has happened uh, with those nonprofit charitable organizations. So we know housing is a huge issue. So we have the, the Build Now initiative, trying to build 10,000 new units uh, in our community. It has not progressed because you've got the municipalities uh, arguing or fighting with each other about policies and procedures around procurement. Some of the municipalities almost refusing to come to the table. So instead of just getting on and building 10,000 new units, we're spending a bunch of time talking and negotiating between municipalities instead of getting on doing it. Jobs are massively important to this region. We've seen a transformation of our local economy, some plants closing. Um, and then we've lost out on new other plants because we actually have municipalities fighting with each other. Someone will say, I'm looking to, to build a new plant in, uh, in, in southwestern Ontario, as an example. And then we have our municipalities not ready to go with one, one uh, cohesive plan. In fact, say sometimes fighting with each other. So I think if you say you know, housing is important, Jobs are important. Uh, helping the most vulnerable in our community is important. Uh, being one municipal voice and one municipal government would make things uh, a lot better and help us progress as a community. I'm glad you brought up the economic aspect of this because I think that hits home, resonates for a lot of people. And what you allude to, I, I heard that perhaps when Schneider's abandoned Kitchener and ended up in Hamilton, we could have if we could have figured it out and gotten out of one another's way, perhaps kept it somewhere in the region. And just earlier this week, Tim, we were talking on this show about Toyota, which is apparently looking at sites in the United States for its electric vehicle future. And some folks are coming to the table here and saying, hang on, Toyota's already got a footprint. We should be encouraging that investment right here. Do you worry that without this 
unified municipal voice, we could lose investments like that. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very confusing for someone uh, from the outside to come in and have to deal with uh, potentially as many as eight different uh, governments. And again, I hear the message, well, we try, we try to work together, um, but it just doesn't, doesn't work when the municipalities actually end up fighting with each other and when there's not one clear place to go. So the examples you've given on plants are, are significant. Um, but even talking to individual developers, for example, who will say, uh, it's, I'm completely confused because the rules in Waterloo are different than the planning rules in, in Kitchener and are different than Cambridge and are different from townships. So even at a smaller level, we, we have these challenges where people get frustrated. And then I think there's a sense of, uh, you know, as, as a small, as a group of, of seven or eight municipalities, we just don't have the same uh, clout or, or have the same atten- get the same attention as others. And I use another example, healthcare. Um, the Ontario health teams, which exist across the province, there's a group of Ontario health teams who have been selected to be what I call advanced, to move through the process a little bit faster and, and to get some additional resources. Well, when you, in southwestern Ontario, we have not been selected as one of those. And I know those of us who live here think, well, that's crazy. How can we not be seen as, as one of the most forward, advanced communities in, in southwestern Ontario? But they went to places like Hamilton and London, where there's one, uh, one regional government for the, the entire municipality. And I just think we are thought of as a fractured community. And I think externally, whether it's about bringing uh, businesses to the community, whether it's about uh, working with developers, whether it's about uh, advancing our health care, if we were one municipal government for this region and thought about externally as one, uh, one geographic place, uh, we'd be much, much better served. Interesting that you mentioned Hamilton, because was it not some time ago that it was in the same place and figured it out and came together as Hamilton? Absolutely. And in fact, it's interesting, I, I think that you had the... Uh, former chair of, of Hamilton, then running the community foundation. So it's, we're back to that sense of uh, you know, the not-for-profit not for profit sector getting involved with the municipal sector and, and, and learning from each other. You, you mentioned, when you said people in this region think it's crazy that we're not being considered for this health team, for example, what, what strikes me as absolutely crazy, Tim, is that we are the 10th largest municipality in all of Canada as a region, but because we have eight different pockets under that umbrella, I don't think we necessarily carry that clout on the provincial or national stage. We absolutely don't. So we are we may be the tenth largest economic area, uh, but we're not the tenth largest library system. We're not the the, the tenth largest uh, fire department uh, because we're we're fractured on on these things. So. We can spin it however we want, and I think we do a good job externally of, of sending the message that we are, are large and significant. Um, but we, th- there, are, there are challenges because we actually do have the infighting that happens, and I don't think people realize how much internal infighting does happen, and the, the um, I don't want to say animosity, but the challenge with having uh, seven lower-tier governments than one regional government, um, they just don't always get along. They may put out a good good external face, but we know uh, it's confusing. And we know it's confusing for someone who says, this is the 10th largest economic uh, region of the country. I'm going to try to find one place to dock into to figure out how can I bring my business here? How can I build houses here? And then they, they get here and they realize, oh, it's not the case at all. It's a, it's a fractured, uh, fractured uh, jurisdiction. When you talk about 10th largest library service, 10th largest fire department, etc., this is one of the things that strictly from a logical point of view, frustrates me. 
We have one paramedic service. We have one fire department. We have one transit we system. We don't have one fire department. Sorry, we, we have, have, sorry, sorry yeah, one, police. That's what I meant to say. Pardon me. Thank you. So police, paramedics, transit, waste management, all regional services. And again, I know the argument's long been made that we do a good job of sharing services, but why we have a hodgepodge of fire departments, library systems, et cetera. Couldn't we deliver services better to residents of this community? Absolutely. And that's what our nonprofit sector has figured out. And so why our municipal governments can't figure out the, the same, uh, I, I think is very frustrating. I, I do think there's a bit of, uh, unfortunately, a sense of folks that were uh, pro-amalgamation before they took office, then get into the office and I think get comfortable with, with the role. Um, I will give full kudos to uh, to Dorothy McCabe, uh, Mayor of Waterloo, who has been very open about saying she believes uh, one municipal government for the region is the right thing and for standing up and saying this is the best thing for the residents that I represent uh, long term. And I just wish there were other uh, municipal politicians that were more more like her saying I want to think about the long term as opposed to short term vested interest. Do you have any concern at all, Tim, that we would lose our rural, smaller community voices under a larger single-tier government? I think you have to be very careful to make sure they they still have uh, a voice at the table. And I think if you take a regional uh, approach to planning everything, then that's a large that's a large part of the region and has to be be incorporated. But I don't think that uh, municipal boundaries uh, define identity, for example. So in any of those communities that we've talked about, Hamilton, London, what, uh, Toronto uh, to some extent, um, people still identify with where they live as a community or a neighborhood. They don't, uh, you don't lose that by changing your, your, your governance structure. And I think, so we've seen that happen in other, other uh, parts of the, the province, and I don't think it would be any different here. And you, you have to be mindful as you think about decision making. And when you put a plan together for the region as a whole, the region includes what are the, the current townships, and that has to be part of uh, any planning that happens. You have been, uh, in my opinion, the very definition of tireless on this over the years. And and now, you know, we're at a point where this is a standing committee, not the minister himself. The facilitator that was promised never arrived here. Uh, Peel region was going to be dissolved and now it's not. Where do you continue to draw energy from to continue this? I think it's as simple as thinking about what is possible. I love this region. I moved my family here. We've raised, uh, Jane and I have raised our, our kids here. Uh, this is home for us. Uh, we think uh, we can do better. We think the region uh, has done very well, but we think about the potential and we think about, um, you know, I think about my kids and I want them to, to be able to, to live and raise their families here. I've got a 26-year-old son who is struggling to find housing in this region. I think it will be much easier for him to find housing if we can uh, have one municipality rather than eight municipalities working together to build these 10,000 new units. I think it will be easier for my son and his peers to find employment in this community if we can attract businesses to to, to this community, which I think is much easier done with one municipal government versus eight. So for me, it's about... Uh, saying, what's the future of the region? And and that's why I'm so passionate about it. I love this place, and I want it to be a place where my, my kids are comfortable uh, staying here, raising families, and, and building their own careers. How do you feel going into tomorrow's roadshow? It's, it's quite the roster of uh, speakers and presenters, including currently elected officials. Yeah. I'm, uh, you know, what's the word, cautiously optimistic. I'm not naive. <laughs> the fact that government has changed the structure um, leads me to believe that we're not going to see wholesale change across the province. 
Um, but as we, we where we started this conversation, I think it's important we speak up. Uh, I look at the roster tomorrow, um, and there are, are groups and organizations that wouldn't have been speaking up a few years ago, uh, representing certain parts of our region. So I think it's a journey we're on. It's a long, long journey. Uh, my, I've always said, well, it'll happen in my lifetime. I'm no longer convinced that might be the case <laughs> as I get older. But I, I am optimistic that it's nothing else we will get the message across that uh, this region would be better off with, with one municipal government. I admire your passion on it, and I certainly appreciate your time. Tim, thanks for being here. Always happy to be here. Thanks very much, Mike. Tim Jackson joining us on the show before he appears before that standing committee at a hotel in Kitchener tomorrow. Tim's the CEO of Shad Canada, and this is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I think it would be much better for the community if there's simply one place you went that you either got a yes or a no instead of all these half-funded entities that we have. So that's just an example from the nonprofit volunteer world where we make it work, but do we really make it work? And it's not so much making it work, it's what could we be if there was one plan, one vision, one voice for the community. I literally daydream about that. I'm not even kidding. The potential here the yet to be realized potential here that's tim jackson who's the ceo of shad canada and for more years than i can count has been passionately advocating for a single tier of government in this region you know that i am fully on board with that idea and something that tim said while we were chatting he had hoped that He would see this happen in his lifetime, and he's not so sure anymore. I don't know exactly how old Tim is, but we're pretty close to the same age, and I feel identically. Like, I want this for us. I want this for us so bad, I literally daydream about it. And I I just wish we could get out of each other's way and get this done. Uh, Tim will be one of many speakers at a standing committee on heritage infrastructure and cultural policy that rolls through our community tomorrow. This committee is overseen by the Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing, which had, in a previous life, been tasked with appointing a facilitator to determine the future of regional government. Now, well, here we are. We're going to get the dog and pony show tomorrow, but Tim will be there, and he will advocate passionately for what I believe to be the best future for this community. Let's go to the phones and hear from you. Sean, good morning. Good morning. I was listening with interest. I 100% agree that we should have a single-tier government. I mean, there are a couple of points to make here. Like, one uh, on the governance. Like, you amalgamate governance. You do not amalgamate communities. I live in Cambridge. We still have Preston, Galt, and Hespler after 50 years. You know, like, so we still have our communities. They don't go away. And as to the point of fire departments. Yeah, that's a very good point. Why do we have seven fire chiefs, seven administrations? Should that money not be put towards actual firefighters and equipment? And do the townships not deserve the same level of fire protection as somebody who lives in the cities? Uh, You know, it, it just seems ridiculous. And people get confused over who's responsible for what, you know, and there is acrimony between the various levels. So, yeah, I 100% agree with him. We need a single-tier government. Sean, you're absolutely right, in my opinion. It does seem ridiculous, I think, to everybody who's not here. <laughs> Somehow, here, we accept this. I don't know why. Uh, Kevin, good morning. 
Hello, good morning, Mike. Well, I'm totally for the amalgamation, and I just make a very easy example. It's like we want to grow, but we want we don't want to give up part of our past. It's same as, as a child who wants to grow but doesn't want to give up the old clothing. That those are you have to get rid of the old clothing. You have to give up your older stuff because you are growing. That's part of the growth. So with the city, I mean, I've been living about over 35 years. When I 35 years ago, I moved from Toronto to here, and the, the city has grown tremendously. But at the same time, we have to accept. We have to give up something. We have to like make it an amalgamation. And like Toronto, when I was living in Toronto, we had Scarborough, we had North York, and everything. But now it's called GTA. Maybe we should call here GWA, Greater Waterloo Area. So we have to accept it. We have to give up all these different different Preston, uh, you know, Gold. Kitchener, Waterloo, everything. It's inevitable. We have to accept it and we have to grow. Kevin, I really like GWA. Do you mind if I use that once in a while? Absolutely. All yours. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that. The greater Waterloo area. Why not? I'm in. Little GWA action around here. Oh, if only. I'll just go back to daydreaming. You just stay right here and keep listening, okay? Uh, an update from the City News Centre is just a couple minutes away at 10. And then w- one of the nicest, most uplifting stories you'll ever want to hear about how some strangers came together to help a man who had been living in his truck. We'll tell you that story coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. I mentioned just before that update from the City News Center with Mark Douglas that it is as inspiring and uplifting a story as ever you will want to hear. And I'm so grateful, not just for the two people who joined me in studio for their time to be here, but for what they did in bringing this inspiring story to life. Jocelyn Schaefer, first and foremost, uh, is... uh, How many years do we go back? I was going to say an old friend, but I think that makes you feel as old as I actually am. (laughs) Nonetheless, Jocelyn and I go back many, many years now. You've probably heard her voice on this show before. She calls in from time to time, and Jocelyn joins us in studio this morning. Good morning, Jocelyn. Good morning, Mike. And along with Jocelyn is Charlotte Ferguson, who we all, apparently we go way back to, and <laughs> back. Charlotte has a great memory, uh, but Charlotte is with us as well. Good morning, Charlotte. Good morning. So let, let me start with you, Charlotte. And so the, the two of you, Jocelyn and you, are, are part of this group known as Housing Helpers. Who or what are the Housing Helpers? 
Oh, that's a great question. Housing Helpers is a private Facebook group that Jocelyn actually started. It was formerly known as uh, Schaefer's Sharings. And uh, Jocelyn started the group, uh, oh gosh, maybe just over a year ago now. Yeah, yeah, about that, yeah. About a year ago. And uh, just she just wanted to reach out and help some people and, and you know, show them some rental properties. And I think uh, when I first came into the group to help her, when she first approached me, she was taking snapshots of uh, newspaper rental properties and... Um, <laughs> And, and borrowing some from other Facebook groups that had been shared. So she approached me and said, gosh, you know, Charlotte, I'm getting up to about 400 members. It's getting a little much for me. <laughs> Would you come along and help us out? So um, so I did. And teamwork <laughs> makes the dream work, right? That's what Absolutely. we say every day. <laughs> you know, Jocelyn, I mentioned earlier that your voice is a familiar one on this show. You have called before to talk about Schaefer's sharings because... We talk a lot about housing and you said, hey, there might be something there that can help people. So this has, even prior to the evolution to housing helpers, Schaefer's Sharings was helping out all kinds of folks in the region. It was. I uh, Several people had suggested that I start a Facebook group because I was posting rentals on different Facebook groups and I was getting blocked. Um, so I had somebody reach out and said, well, why don't you start something that is just in one space so that you don't have so many pages to keep track of? And I, at first I said, absolutely not. Like I just didn't want the responsibility. I didn't want to have wrong information given to me, that kind of thing. And then I sat back and I thought, Hey, like I, I can do this and I got to give it a shot because then I can say that at least I tried. And I literally thought if I had a hundred followers, I was going to be doing really well. And (laughs) here we are like it's it's just it's ballooned it's it's been absolutely wonderful um charlotte's been my rock completely we've added a few other admin as well and uh i just yeah i'm just we're both overwhelmed but i just i can't believe that in less than a year that we have over ten thousand members i think it just speaks to the depth of need too absolutely for sure okay so i was made aware of this somebody sent me a screenshot over the weekend of the housing helpers page and the story that really brings you both into the studio this morning. Jocelyn, as we know again from your time on this show and when you phoned in, you drive a bus. I'll let you pick it up from there with what it is that you had noticed and you thought, "Mm, something's just not adding up for you here. Yeah, I think it was the end of October, beginning of November, and I was pulling into where I parked my bus in Waterloo, and I had noticed this truck that was parked not in our compound, but just a little like in proximity to the yard. And at first I made nothing of it. I thought, okay, maybe it's just a car that's parked there. Maybe it's an employee that's parking in behind the buildings or something. So I just, I monitored internally for, I would say a good two weeks. And then I was heading out for my my bus run one day and I thought, Something just told me to write down the license plate number of this vehicle. So I, stu- I before I got in my bus, I went over to the vehicle, not very close because I didn't know what was going on, uh, copied down the license plate number, copied down the make model of the vehicle, and I just kind of, I just put it in my pocket and didn't really do anything with it. And as luck would have it, when I returned to the bus yard later that morning around 9.30, the truck was gone. So I didn't know what to do. Um, again, I just kept everything to myself and then the, the truck returned, I think it was a week later, the truck returned and I wasn't sure what was going on again. Cause I, I had never seen anybody around the vehicle. I like, there were never lights on in the morning or anything. 
And then again, about a week later, the truck came back and I was relieved. I thought, okay, good. Like the person is back, whatever. And when I finished my bus run about two weeks later, I think I saw a man come out of the vehicle with two large dogs. And I thought, wow, we weren't even in a cold snap yet. Like it was, that was the farthest thing from my mind, but I thought, okay, this, I'm going to keep watch on this. So the the man was out walking with his dogs and then there's a dumpster at the back of this parking lot and he was putting his garbage in there. So I put a post up on December the 5th, I think it was. I put a post up on 519 Community Collective because they also do outreach for people that are homeless. And I just put a post out and I said, I work in North Waterloo. There's a vehicle that's parking in proximity to where I work, not causing any disturbances, not causing any problems, but I'm wondering if somebody knows anything about this. And I had someone reach out to me and we talked back and forth and it turned out that she, this person, Debbie is her name, she had actually gone to this parking lot to see this person and it was a man and he had two dogs and he was homeless. And uh, so that's basically when it, when it started. I still have not met the. I still have not met George. I plan to do that this week, and uh, I posted something on Friday on housing helpers. And as you know now, it's in two days. Basically, it's just it's ballooned, and it's the support that we've received has been absolutely overwhelming. Charlotte, can you give mm-hmm. us uh, an understanding of that level of support? What has happened since this post has gone? Viral. Viral. <laughs> you two, you are viral. The both of you are viral. In the best way. We exactly. can't say that Move anymore. over, Taylor Swift. <laughs> um, I mean, it was uh, the the outreach that... that um, we've grown this tribe. We've grown this, this group. And, uh, you know, for the last year, we've worked with all of the tenants and the landlords that are in the group, the the people who are there advocating on behalf of other people, and they see the work that we do. We've developed this insane amount of trust. And um, and I think that's really what the catalyst was. When Jocelyn's message went out there, all of a sudden, it just started blowing up. We asked for help in any way that we could. And asking for food, asking for gift cards, uh, m- small donations of five, ten dollars and it's incredible how quickly five to ten dollars per person adds up when you have that level of support and trust behind you. So the donations started coming in. We scrambled to uh, open up a bank account for it that we could keep private and separate. That was um, that was one thing that we really wanted to emphasize when we started was that the money was not going into Charlotte's personal account. It was not going into my personal account. We were very adamant that we wanted to open an account exclusively for this purpose so that people knew that, okay, well, you know, we can trust this. We didn't want people to be second guessing. So that was that was really important from the very beginning that it was a separate account. And there's full transparency on it. We've provided receipts to our group to show them where their money has gone and, and how they've helped. Uh, it's it's just been incredible uh, the number of of e transfers that we've gotten, and then since then it's sort of um, it's exploded even more. So it's not enough just to help one person out of their vehicle. We have to do more and we have to do better for as many people as we can. And so we've put a post out there now asking for people to help support with um, any job preparedness skills, resume writing, who can translate in our group. And that kind of support is still coming in. It's absolutely incredible what people are volunteering to do. So where is George today? 
today. George is, uh, we secured for him an Airbnb in Cambridge. The uh, owner, Barbie, she's absolutely adorable. And uh, and she was so helpful for us. Uh, we were able to get him a severe discount on the Airbnb. Um, we've had to temporarily relocate him today. So he's staying at a hotel in Waterloo who, again, stepped up and gave us a really, really great rate. And he's going to get a full pampered suite. So that's um, very impressive. And then he'll go back to uh, Cambridge and stay at the Airbnb through until the end of April. Uh, no, it's actually just going to be till March oh, 14th. Till March 14th. Yeah, but we're hoping in that time that be- between now and then, we're hoping to secure housing for him. We've reached out to a lot of resources. Resources have actually re- reached out to us, and they're being they're wonderful. Just trying to get everything done. A lot of the team in our group is uh, realtors that I have on a, on my team and through my office. So we are trying to secure him something long term permanent that will um, help him to thrive. And you know, George has written us. Uh, several emails of gratitude, but the one that sticks out to me is he's very clearly said this has been the biggest wake-up call. He will not go back to the situation that he found himself in. He's willing to do the the work and and make the changes um, that he needs to to thrive. And he's absolutely his positivity is radiating right now. So he's he's in a much better space. We've had some people offer to. Um, get him an interview for some jobs. So we're hoping that we can carry this train forward a little bit more. It's funny what happens when you have stable housing, isn't it? You know, I think that that's something that a lot of people take for granted, that um, when we don't have a stable house, when we don't have an address to put on a job application, it's really difficult when we don't have the income um, to even help us get to a job placement. Uh, It becomes really difficult. And I mean, where he would have even put his dogs. So um, having an address, having someplace stable to come home to uh, that you know you can feel safe in goes a long way to helping get people as active members of the society again. So it's really important to us that we help continue his journey forward and help him to succeed. Do you know anything, Jocelyn, about George's story and how he ended up living in the truck? I haven't spoken a lot to him, but when I have spoken to him, he's been very honest. Um, He came actually from Toronto. He was living in a home there, but he was renting it. And the people that owned the home, um, they actually sold it. And he was not able to find anything with housing prices. Um, So he actually stayed in Toronto in a tent. And from there, he came to Waterloo. And that's essentially where I found him. And it's kind of interesting, actually, because when I reached out, um, he went to the bed and breakfast on Sunday or Monday. I forget which one. Everything's sort of a blur right now. On Sunday morning. Sunday morning. Um, but l- literally, as he was pulling in the driveway of the of where he's staying, his vehicle quit on him. So he doesn't even have a vehicle right now. So we've actually got a taxi from um, a local taxi picking him up in Cambridge, bringing him to the hotel. And he will be staying there. But it's... Everything's just kind of compounded and yeah, so he's, he's, he's very thankful and he's been, he's been very honest with me. Um, yeah. Yeah. You had mentioned, or sorry, I believe the initial target was $5,000 to raise. How, how f- close did you get to that? 
Oh, we got so close. Yeah. And it was like 48 hours or so. It, it was, did, well, it was... Oh, it was crazy. Like, yeah, it was about 36 hours. hours. It was it was just under two days that we collected $4,200. So, um, again, we're so grateful for that. Uh, we've been able to pay for his uh, Airbnb stay for right now. We have a mechanic coming to look at his vehicle. Right now, we're in the process of helping to manage his his dogs and find them someplace a little bit more permanent um, to get the support that they need as well. And um, and then we keep keep working through things. So you mentioned earlier, Charlotte, that now through your group, you're looking for, you know, resume writing support, translation support, a bunch of these different things. 10,000 plus members, Jocelyn, you thought if you got to 100, you'd be doing well with Schaefer's <laughs> sharings. Here we are. Jocelyn, you work. We've already talked about that. You drive that bus. Charlotte, you're in real estate. Where does housing helpers go from here? I mean, it sounds like you could become the administrators permanently of something that is a growing and going concern. Where where does housing helpers go next? You know, that's a great question. Um, I've worked really hard. I'm actually fairly proud of the system that we've been able to build. Uh, So we've built a system that helps us to have our our members fill out intake forms. We have one for those that are seeking roommates help. We have one for those that are looking for a full-on property on their own. And not everybody's situation is as dire as George's, but there are some who fall uh, very much in the middle there of of Ideal and and George. So um, I have a full team of realtors behind me. We're working like night and day to try and get people into uh, properties and, and find them situations that work. We do credit counseling. Um, we do <laughs> we do roommate matchmaking services, <laughs> which sounds <laughs> sounds a little bit more racy than it actually is. <laughs> but um, what we're trying to do is just just help as many as we can. I, I think the next step is that we continue to to grow the network of um, support that we have in the group with with adding more realtors and adding more. Um, administrators to help us reach every single individual, hear the stories that we need to hear, and put people in the right situations. I don't see this ending anytime soon. (laughs) And the one thing that I would like to add to is for anybody that's watching and is in need, please do reach out. Charlotte and I are more than willing to help you. Um, it may take a little bit to to help you, but all of our services are absolutely free. We don't charge anything at all. So if if that's what's been holding you back is thinking, okay, well, if she's a realtor, I've got to pay her this or, you know, this is just a, a hobby for me, honestly. And uh, <laughs> I, I've been thinking the last couple of days, it's a little bit more than I can handle, but hey, I've I've got a good partner in Charlotte here. But yes, all of our services are 100% free. So please don't let don't let that hold you back thinking that you're going to have to pay something like a year down the road or something because that just is not the case. That's right. Your hobby, I think, Jocelyn, is caring. Because why I loved this story is that not everybody would have done what you did. They would have seen that truck parked in behind those buildings and maybe not even given it a second thought. But because you cared... And did what you did, that legwork has led to this moment, and and here we are being able to share the story. Thank you both for what you do, and thank you both for making time to come in studio today to talk about it. 
Oh, thank, thank you very you much for, for the your platform. Time. Thanks. <laughs> Charlotte Ferguson, Jocelyn Schaefer, housing helpers, their friend Becky Packer also involved, not feeling too well today. We were back and forth and anyway, but I know Becky's involved in this and I'd like to thank my friend Melissa for bringing it to my attention. She said, I hope this is on the air on Monday. We made it for Wednesday. I, I'm sure Melissa is with us. Uh, this is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Having an address, having someplace stable to come home to that you know you can feel safe in goes a long way to helping get people as active members of the society again. So it's really important to us that we help continue his journey forward and help him to succeed. What a story. It's the housing helpers to the rescue of a man who had been, up until now, living in his truck. Let's quickly go to the phones. Marjorie, good morning. Morning, Mike. What a great story. Isn't it wonderful? You know, and she gets it. They get it. These are people. And sometimes you're just one event or one paycheck away from disaster where you end up living in your truck or you end up living in a tent. But these are people, and they need the security of home. You can't work without an address. And if you're working and you lose your address, the, the difficulties of being presentable to go to work become so difficult. We have so many people living in cars who are buying a gym membership so that they can shower and go to work. We have so many, but when you hear a story like this about people who get it, who see it, and not just that, but they actually step out of their comfort zone to do something and make a difference. Mike, that just that just warms my heart because there's so many people like that living in vehicles all around our region that need help. And I'm definitely putting these people in my Rolodex because, <laughs> wow. Thanks, wow. Marjorie. You have a great day. Keep up the great work. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Always nice to hear from Marjorie Knight, who's also been in the news this week, looking after those as best she can, who are living unsheltered in these deeply frigid conditions. Hey, people care. Jocelyn and Charlotte and the team with Housing Helpers certainly cares. Marjorie cares. I know you care, too. We all do the very best that we can. This was a great story. I'm glad we're able to bring it to the show for you today. We're going to get you a quick update from the City News Centre. And then he once had his Olympic gold medal stolen from him, and Don Cherry helped him get it back. We'll hear from the man who has multiple gold medals and now an autobiography called Never Give Up. That story is next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV.
Did you know that one of the greatest goalies in Paralympic Games history, who won multiple world championship titles with Team Canada, not to mention an Olympic gold, once had that gold medal stolen? This goes back more than 15 years now. And in part, it was thanks to the always vocal Don Cherry, who helped encourage the public to track down this medal and have it returned to Paul Rosen, the goaltender for Canada's national men's sledge hockey team. Paul joins us on the program this morning for a conversation about that, which is just a small little tidbit of the overall story. Paul, really great to get you on the show. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing all right, thank you. How about yourself? I'm doing great. I'm actually at Pearson uh, Airport right now. I've just uh, been working with some boys from Australia coming to uh, Canada to learn the uh, the game of ice hockey and just dropping them off to get uh, that long jaunt back to Australia. So we're uh, live, uh, live stuff is crazy sometimes. I guess it is. And all things considered with the weather here, I'm sure that these uh, young men are happy to be returning to Australia right about now. <laughs> oh, yeah. In Melbourne, where they're going, it's 36 today, not minus 15. Holy Hannah. Yeah, that would be an upgrade for sure. Uh, yeah. Paul, let, let's start with that story that made so many headlines more than a decade ago, more than 15 years ago now, when your gold medal was stolen. And of all people, it's Don Cherry on Hockey Night in Canada to the rescue. What happened? Well, we won uh, March the 18th, 2006. We won the Golden Torino, Italy. Very fortunate to get the shout-out and the first shout-out in Canadian history. Shannon Zabado since then got one to the women in 10 and 14. Carrie Price got one in 14. So it was, a, it was quite a win for us. And unfortunately, Canada has not won since. The Americans have won uh, uh, the, the Olympics and Paralympics since that uh, time. So it was a huge thing. I was doing a lot of autograph sessions with some of my teammates. I was at Downey Park doing an you know, autograph session. Crazy. It was, so it was February 7, 2007. And uh, Cheryl Pounder from the women's team was packing up uh, all the gear and everything. And she said, Rosie, where's, uh, where's your medal? We're packing up. And I said, it's, uh, it's beside yours. And she said, no, it's not. Uh, panic set in. We got the police involved. She called uh, Cassie Campbell, who was at CBC at the time. Cassie's husband, Brad Pascoe, was uh, one of the guys that ran our program. Uh, before you know it, it got to Don Cherry. Don is a good friend. We, uh, we did a lot of things with military across Canada. That night on Coach's Corner, he told the rat who stole Rosie's medal, put it in a mailbox, the police wouldn't be involved. A week to the day, the following Saturday, the police called me. They found it at Central Sorting on Eastern Avenue, downtown Toronto. The rest is history. That's incredible. Yes, and and the rest is history because, you know, as I think back on where you must have been at, Paul, at that point in your life, the high of an Olympic gold, that first ever shutout that you talk about, you're at autograph signings, etc. But fast forward a little more than 10 years, and as you reveal in your biography, Never Give Up, The Meaning of My Life, you tried to take your own life what happened to lead you to that moment 
Yeah, so Mike, I've had uh, I've had mental health and uh, and addiction issues my whole life, uh, back to my first injury in 1975 uh, when I got addicted to painkillers. Uh, I've just had an up and down crazy life, and when I retired, the one thing I, I really try to do is stress and talk to hockey teams. I've done over 1,200 motivational talks over the last 20 years, and when I uh, when I talk to teams, I, I try to tell them to be prepared for retirement. We retire, I retired after the Vancouver Games, and I say to people, say, be in a room with 500 people, everybody loves you, you're amazing. The lights go out, they come back on, everybody's gone. Depression set in big time for the next seven, eight years. And I got to a point in, in 2019 on, believe it or not, uh, the most ironic thing on Bell Let's Talk Day, January 30th, 2019, where I, I tried to take my life, ended up 17 days in the Toronto General Hospital, and uh, decided after that that I, I had to uh, I had to get my message out to tell people that you could have the most incredible life out front to the public and be suffering so bad internally. And isolation is the biggest uh, the biggest problem with uh, with addiction and mental health. And I, I just want to like Roger Lajoie did in the book he wrote and he did a great job in it. Uh, the meaning of my life now is to help other people. Were you hiding these true parts of yourself when you were at the height of your Paralympic fame? Oh, absolutely. One of the crazy things is when my book came out in January 4th, it'll be two years that it came out. My kids, I have three kids, 39, uh, 37, and 35. I have five grandchildren, a brother and sister. Nobody had a clue what I was going through. Can you share with us what it was that you were going through and, and, and how you tried to disguise it from the public? Well, to me, I lived two lives, Mike. I lived the life of Rosie, the, uh, uh, the uh, Paralympic athlete who had dinner with prime ministers and traveled the world and had gold medals and rings and, and everybody loved. And then I was Paul, who lived a dark, lonely, depressed life by himself, who hated himself, who thought he wasn't worth any of the praise that he got and didn't understand why people gave it to him. Uh, no education, didn't have a, a grade 12 diploma, uh, was, was uh, illiterate in a lot of ways, re- reading and writing at a grade 6 level. Um, traumatic stuff in my childhood that just kept deep down, and I never got help. I never, this is the biggest issue. Any of your listeners that are, are listening right now, if you're struggling with mental health, with depression, with suicidal thoughts, reach out to somebody whether it's me and i'll give my number i'll talk to anybody at any time or a professional do not isolate because you'll isolate for so long that you'll think and i thought this that you weren't good enough to be around that it was better off for everybody if you left this earth that is so not true how did you ultimately get the help that you needed so when I was in the uh, uh, Toronto General Hospital, I was very fortunate to have them uh, go to uh, uh, send me to um, my daughter's house in Aurora, where they have an incredible treatment center that I went to, York Region Services. I uh, had a great uh, uh, counselor who got me into the right AA and NA Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous programs, trauma uh, counseling. And I have a great sponsor. I go to three, four meetings uh, a week, uh, sometimes more. And I, uh, I just, I don't keep myself in isolation anymore, Mike. What was the process like for you, Paul, working on that book with our friend Roger Lajoie? 
oh my god it was it was i think one of the hardest books for roger to write i love roger he's amazing uh, he had written uh, I, mine was his 13th book and mine was the only book that he'd ever written where we couldn't be face to face because it was written during covid so he would call me he would be at the studio the office he'd have the, uh, the tape recorder on or the machine on i would talk 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 once a week i would go down to the offices He'd have a manuscript set there. I would look at it. Yes, no, maybe. We talked, we talked, but we never did one of the entire book face to face. Everything was over the phone till we were finally finished and ready. And uh, I'm extremely grateful and happy with the uh, the outcome. I have had some incredible things happen recently. I was in uh, uh, St. John, New Brunswick, calling the para hockey for TSN. And a man came up to me and he said uh, he left the book on his counter. His 21-year-old son read it, came down the next morning, told his his wife and himself that he was contemplating suicide. He read my book and he wanted to get help. Is that why the subtitle is The Meaning of My Life, Paul? Is that now the meaning of your life, to help others? 100%. That's why... I'm positive. I uh, I woke up from the coma. That's why I'm I'm still here. And so many of my friends overdosed and passed away. I uh, I am here to make my meaning to help others understand the importance of life. And there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And it is not as bad as everybody thinks. When you look back, Paul, and you talked about that isolation and feeling of alone but when it comes to the addiction part was it in recovery or attempted recovery from an injury where you became addicted to painkillers or something along those lines 100 percent, and that is the, the biggest issue in sport especially uh hockey football where where, where athletes have an injury they have to still play at that high level so what they do is the, the only thing to do is take painkillers. Painkillers are unbelievably addictive. And once you get to that point where the pain is gone, the addiction sets in. And, and I basically say it when I talk to, to groups, it's like Skittles. It's like, you're, uh, it's like you're taking them as candy. They don't do anything for you anymore. But it is very, very difficult to, uh, uh, to get off of stuff. Stopping drinking was much easier than stopping uh, the, uh, the the painkillers. How how did you manage to continue obtaining the painkillers outside of medical treatment? Oh, the one thing I uh, I tell people, especially when I speak in the uh, in the addiction field, is when you're an addict and and you uh, and you want something, you become an Academy Award actor or actress. And you can get anything. So I had uh, I had guys all over the place that were getting me stuff outside of my doctors. Very very easy. And uh, right now, uh, oxycotton, some of the the painkillers are so easy to get. Uh, the the sad part is most of them are laced with fentanyl, and that's why we're losing so many people. You mentioned Paul that you found it easier to give up alcohol than it was to give up the painkillers. How did you overcome these addictions? Uh, through great people, through help, through uh, through AA, through NA, through uh, uh, counseling, uh, through my trauma counseling, through talking to uh, uh, unbelievable people in my life that have been through it. And now, when I have an issue, and I still do, life is not easy. Uh, I reach out. I don't. I don't isolate and try to solve it myself.
When you look back on your life, which again, you know, the book is Never Give Up the Meaning of My Life. When you look back on that life, Paul, can you, would you ever have imagined that you would become not only one of the greatest goaltenders in Paralympic Games history, but also a recovering addict and published author? Never. Never, never. When I go back to 1975 and that initial injury and my dad telling me that, you know, I was going to do something great with my life, I never, ever thought that in 2024 I would have had the success I've had and the uh, the opportunity to, to help as many people as I've had and and meet so many incredible people and, and get the message across to platforms like your show, Mike, and I really appreciate it. Every time I get a chance to do a show, no matter where it is in the world, uh, especially when it's in my province of Ontario, uh, I, I'm, I just jump at it. Where can we get a copy of your book? Where can we find it? Well, you can uh, email me directly at paulrosen577 at gmail.com, $30, and direct, and I will mail it out to you or deliver it to you. If you want to go the other way, you can, and that's autographed and personalized. If you want to get it through Amazon or any of your uh, online ways, I think it's twenty four ninety nine. It's not uh, it's not autographed or personalized. So um, that that that's so many different ways. Uh, and if you uh, if any of your listeners want to, uh, they can call me directly at six four seven six six nine six eight five seven. I answer all calls. Talk to everybody. Paul, I really appreciate you making time for our show this morning, and and thanks for being so candid about your story and and writing the book so that you could potentially help others. It's it's a great initiative. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Paul Rosen is uh, widely regarded as one of the greatest goaltenders in Paralympic Games history. He won an Olympic gold with Team Canada's sledge hockey team in 2006. Uh, Less than two years later, less than a year later, that medal was stolen at an autograph show. And of all people, it's Don Cherry using his platform on Hockey Night in Canada, publicly appealing to the thief to give the medal back. There will be no questions asked, Don Cherry said. Put it in the mailbox. It will be returned to Paul. If you don't put it in the mailbox, you're a rat. Does that sound like Don Cherry? And anyone that knows about it, who took it and doesn't do anything about it, is a rat. The medal came back. But the story is really, that's just one small part of the overall story of Paul Rosen following that injury that cost him his leg in 1975, ascending to be to become one of those greatest goaltenders in Paralympic Games history, to battling addiction, to a night in 2019 when he tried to take his own life. Obviously, he was unsuccessful, and that has led him to this moment where he's now a published author and motivational speaker. Never give up the meaning of my life, the Paul Rosen story, co-authored with our good friend, Roger Lajoie from Sportsnet 590, the fan, and good all-around guy is the Raj. Very interesting story from Paul Rosen. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy of the book, you can find it if you just do a Google search for Never Give Up, The Meaning of My Life, or send him an email and get that autographed copy mailed directly to you, paulrosen577 at gmail.com. 
This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. You can have the most incredible life out front to the public and be suffering so bad internally. And isolation is the biggest problem with addiction and mental health. And I just want to, like Roger Lavoie did in the book he wrote, and he did a great job in it. Uh, The meaning of my life now is to help other people. Paul Rosen is a gold medal winning Paralympic goalie. Widely regarded as one of the great Paralympic goalies in Team Canada's history. Won a gold medal at the Games in 2006 and now is a published author. The book co-written with our friend Roger Lejoie, Never Give Up the Meaning of My Life. In 2019, Paul Rosen tried to take his own life. He was battling a number of demons, alcohol, painkillers. And his mental health had deteriorated. He felt all alone. He never did reach out for the help that he ultimately found and which has led him to where he is today. Paul mentioned in that conversation that he's always happy to get the chance to speak on a platform such as ours here on the show. And for that, I have to thank Chris, one of our regular listeners from Cambridge, and an Alberta transplant. Now, I don't know about you, but I thought most people were going the other way, leaving Ontario and heading west for greener pastures, perhaps. But Chris was lured here by uh, a working opportunity. We got to know that, or I got to know that, in exchanging some emails with Chris, uh, because Chris is a friend of Paul and reached out and said, hey, I think this guy would make a great guest. And I think you'll agree from just having heard Paul's story that he makes for a very good guest indeed. And I'm grateful to Chris not only for listening on a regular basis now that he's a resident of the fine city of Cambridge, but also for reaching out and connecting me with Paul so that we could share his story with you on the show this morning. How are you doing this morning? Anyway, I, I feel as though I, I've been dominating the conversation a little bit. I feel like it's been a little bit one-sided. So just a reminder, of course, that part of our show today will, as it is every day, be the 12 o'clock talk back hour where the phone lines will be open for you to lead the way in conversation. I'm here for whatever you want to talk about, or maybe it's one of the things that we've discussed on the show already today. That housing helpers story just after 10, I thought was terrific. Uh, at 9.30 this morning, we talked about the what I'm calling the regional governance road show that comes to Kitchener tomorrow. I don't think it's really going to amount to any kind of substantive change. I think the provincial government is kind of checking its box to say, yeah, we did that. Everything, you know, we we said we were going to, and now we did, and that'll be the end of that. Remember the famous review that was done, or the report that was uh, prepared by former regional chair Ken Sealing and his colleague Michael Fenn? That report has still not seen the light of day. But I digress. I'm sorry, I'll just leave that over there. It was a good conversation this morning about the roadshow that comes to Kitchener tomorrow. And coming up after this update from the City News Centre, I'm sure you've got a thought or two about the big boxification of service Ontario centres in the province. I, I, I Honestly, it's not the first time we have seen... Like, think of Canada Post kiosks in drugstores, right? Like, whatever, I thought to myself. But... With the Walmart example and and the fact that we as Ontario taxpayers are going to fund the retrofitting 
of the Walmart stores where the Service Ontario kiosks are going to be? Like, come on with your coming on here. I, I think, I think the Walmartians can shake the sofa cushions and find some money to do the retrofitting themselves, can't they? Anyway, we're going to talk about that. Maybe you've got some thoughts on it, too. It's coming up after this update from the City News Centre. Stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. I got to create a new word this week. That new word is big boxification. That's the word I have used to describe the decision here in Ontario to take service Ontario centers and consolidate them, if you will, into big box retailers. At first, it was just staples. And I said then, and I will say again here, it really didn't phase me a whole heck of a lot because I know that there are Canada Post outlets, for example, in the pharmacy near my house. And and quite frankly, I find that rather convenient. So, I mean, maybe I missed the uproar when the Canada Post outlets were relocated into pharmacies, but nonetheless, that was my first thought. Well, yeah, it's a Service Ontario Centre. I got to go somewhere to get there anyway. I don't care if that's somewhere is a big box retailer like Staples. I I do confess to being much less a fan of Walmart. I'm sorry if you are one who loves the store. I'm sorry if you are one who works at the store. Like, I'm glad you've got the job and all of those great things. I am not a fan of that retailer, not one little bit. And all of a sudden, it's not just Staples. It's going to be Walmart as well. But what chafes my chaps a wee bit when it comes to the Walmart example specifically is that we as taxpayers will be helping to retrofit those Walmart stores so they can hold the Service Ontario kiosk. That doesn't make me too happy. Like, I would like to think that somebody within the government, maybe even the premier himself, can negotiate a better deal with the retailer who's going to have a captive audience standing in their store waiting in the lineup at the Service Ontario kiosk, right? And while that captive audience is standing in the store, they might pick up a little something. So the retailer is going to get added traffic and likely earn more money. So surely it can pay for the retrofit itself? That would be my 10 cents on the issue. Catherine Fife is our MPP for Waterloo, joins us on the program this morning to talk about it. And there's quite a bit there, Catherine, from Staples to Walmart to the provincial taxpayer uh, paying for the retrofits here. How do you even begin to analyze this situation? Well, I think people, quite rightly, uh, should be questioning these moves. I mean, the the fact there's a there's a number of questions that need answers and there's that people deserve answers so one is the contracts right uh, how does how does a multi-million dollar company like staples and a billion dollar company like walmart uh you know secure a sole sourced uh, contract with the government with no competitive bid process which means that other companies couldn't even throw their hats in the ring 
um, as well as you know, Staples Canada hadn't uh, hasn't hadn't been actively lobbying for this, to the best of our knowledge. They're not a registered lobbyist. So really, what it brings home for us, Mike, is who's driving this bus? And, you know, why is this a priority to outsource, further outsource Service Ontario services uh, to major U.S. corporations who are very, who are very blatantly, you know, claiming that they're going to try to... Uh, profit off of this move you know what is doug ford thinking about right is there any level upon which this makes financial sense by reducing overhead costs at existing service ontario centers etc and consolidating like is there any financial argument for this well, if there is a case, that case has never been made. Um, many people either assume that all of these service Ontario um, locations are privatized. That's not true. Some are still public. We have one here in Kitchener as well. Um, but but at the end of the day, why is this why is this a problem that needs to be solved when we are in the middle of a healthcare and housing crisis in Ontario? Do we expect any answers in this regard? When will you get an opportunity to challenge the Premier on this? Well, we do not go back to the legislature until after Family Day. Uh, so there's there's a good chunk of time. But what is surprising on some levels, I have to say, is that you know the RCMP is already investigating Doug Ford and this Conservative government uh, on, with criminal with a criminal investigation into the Greenbelt scandal, which, as you know, led some developers to either purchase or secure land that they knew was going to be removed from the Greenbelt, and they were going to make 8.3 billion dollars. So this is so this is a premier who uh, clearly has you know. Uh, an image problem, but for Ontarians, we actually have a competency and transparency problem with this premier. This he needs to come clean about why he is using public taxpayer dollars to help Walmart and Staples with their bottom line. I just want to point out that last year Walmart made four hundred and thirty four billion dollars. And so what kind of secret backroom deals have been made again for the government to give sole sourced contracts without any competition or transparency to two giant American corporations? Uh, This is not the way you should be running a province. It doesn't instill confidence in the competency of the premier or this government. And at the end of the day, we are going to lose some jobs uh, at those service Ontario locations and all to benefit at the end of the day, two large U.S. corporations. Like this is not this this decision makes no sense, Mike. It is not in the best interest of the people of the province that we're elected to serve, and we need to hold this premier to account. If if there had been a transparent, open source bidding process, does that make this any more palatable? Well, I mean, at, at least at the end of the day, the government would have to rationalize why they're doing this, right? Remember, you know, the the posters are already up at Staples that Service Ontario is coming to these locations. So it it's it is like this. It's like the premier is trying to run his sticker business as the province, um, and and having a competitive and transparent uh, bidding process is how governments should operate. Uh, I actually brought forward a private member's bill to increase the transparency and diversity 
of businesses that can bid for government contracts. Uh, the government is a major uh, player in Ontario uh, for, for those small and medium-sized businesses as well. They've been excluded from the entire process. So at the end of the day, it really is about priorities. You know, we're going through uh, budget consultations right now. Uh, Cambridge is this Thursday. Um, What we're hearing at those consultations is a healthcare system that is on the brink of collapse. We know that housing insecurity is impacting so many Ontarians and cost of living is one of those key issues as well. Why does Staples and Walmart get prioritized attention from this premier when people in Ontario are hurting. We have seen this premier under pressure and blowback reverse course before. Do you hold out any hope, Catherine, that that could happen again? Well, I, when I, I did, I will have to say, I, I mean, I, he has had to reverse on the green belt, on boundaries, on MZOs, on the review of regional governments like Brampton and Mississauga. So he is, as a premier, really lurching from mistake to mistake to mistake. And, and to be honest, we've, you know, we've been able to shame him into doing the right thing. But when I saw the posters already up in Staples locations, I haven't seen them in Walmart yet, um, this was very concerning. They've also already made a commitment to use taxpayer dollars to refurbish those stores. Now, remember, these are multi-billion dollar companies, U.S. companies. Why are taxpayers in Ontario footing the bill? It makes no sense whatsoever. Somebody called my show just the other day and inquired about access because there's not necessarily a Staples store in every community, particularly smaller rural communities. Does this limit access to Service Ontario? Yeah, my office has also heard um, accessibility issues with regards to Staples and Walmart. And those small northern and rural communities where the Service Ontario location, um, you know, serves a large catchment of, of, of the population, uh, that is certainly something that needs to be looked at, as does the information. So these are kiosks that are going to be placed in a corporate setting. Uh, we don't know exactly what's going to happen with the jobs that are currently being transitioned to these stores. But we also don't have clarity on the security of private information, like your driver's license and your health card. So what what we essentially have here is a government that's just gone rogue, that's decided that they're going to help these companies, these large corporations, at the cost of of taxpayer dollars in Ontario. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting back to Queen's Park and, and asking these questions. Uh, it is, it's shameful, quite honestly, that the minister responsible has not even returned media phone calls. Uh, so we have, we, right now where we are is that this government is making these arbitrary decisions to help these large U.S. corporations at the cost of delivering public services to the people that were elected to serve. It's a, it's a shameful display and really arrogance at its height. Catherine, as always, we appreciate the time on the show. Thank you very much for being here. Always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mike. Catherine Fife is the MPP for Waterloo. She represents, of course, the opposition NDP, and she joins us to share her concerns around this sole-sourced decision Nobody really knew about it. 
including us, of course, the public who elected the people that make these sometimes sole-sourced decisions, to relocate service Ontario centres into kiosks within Staples stores and Walmart. Not only that, but when it comes to the Walmart stores, we as taxpayers will be footing the bill for the retrofit. Now, a great point was just made by a colleague of mine who poked his head into the studio during the 11 a.m. news and had heard me say, this is what we're going to be talking about next. He said, aren't we, like when we establish a Service Ontario facility anywhere, aren't we paying for the retrofit of that particular building in that strip mall, that, you know, uh, that unit within the strip mall, et cetera, wherever it is? And like, that's a very good point. We would be. Again, I would like to see some maybe harder bargaining with, a huge retailer that's going to get increased foot traffic because we are putting the people into their store. But yeah, I guess you're paying for it anyway. And and on that note, a couple of professors that I f- follow and interact with from time to time uh, on the X platform, one from Western, another from York, pointed this out, that the majority of Service Ontario locations are privately run, licensed outlets anyway. And they get paid based on performance. There's actually very few, quote, public locations left in that Service Ontario ecosystem. That was the professor from Western, and it was echoed by the prof from York, who says about two-thirds of Service Ontario counters are privately operated. In fact, we even advertise how you can get your own private Service Ontario location. So are we creating a tempest in a teapot here? I don't know. Look, I recognize that I come at this from the position of someone who has a vehicle and a driver's license and the ability to get to wherever you put my Service Ontario location. A lot of the stuff I do, I can do online. But if the Service Ontario location is at a strip mall on uh, Manitou Drive or it's at a Staples on Ottawa Street, like it, it matters not to me. It, like It really doesn't. I don't care. Can I go there and get done what I need to get done? Yes. Do I care if it's in a Staples or in a strip mall? No, but that's me. I, I don't love that we are footing the bill for the retrofitting here. As always, though, I'm happy to hear from you. Maybe you can enlighten me on something that is of concern to you, and I can learn something today. 519-570-2545. Star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. Kyle, good morning. This is the biggest joke since the whole Green Thing scandal. Like, is this is this guy just purposely digging himself a hole? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, I live in a small town. I have Walmart here, you know. But, I mean, I prefer to go to my service Ontario and walk and use a small, you know, small mom-and-pop building that's been leased for, you know, that, that's just an owner that uses it, right? But I don't know. this This thing, I don't get it, man. I don't get the whole mindset of no bidding, nothing. Like it's just, it's just more and more scandalous stuff going on, and and we're supposed to be saving money, but well, but that's the thing. Like, does this really reach the level of scandal when you talk about it? You'd rather go to a small mom and pop kind of mall or building, but we're paying for that building, right? We're paying, for, yeah, but how much? What's the cost difference between paying for that small mom and pop building versus Walmart? I would suggest it's probably pretty significant, right? Because the Walmart's already there. I think you're just paying for a small piece of the footprint inside the Walmart. 
But then we're already giving them we're already giving them as much money as they can by using it. So why do we have to retrofit in the first place? Well, I don't disagree with that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Mike. It's, 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 it's I think there's more to the conversation, but yeah, that's just my opinion on it. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate the opinion. That's what the show is for. I want to hear your thoughts on these issues. We'll take a break. Come back with more of your calls right after this on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. What we're hearing at those consultations is a healthcare system that is on the brink of collapse. We know that housing insecurity is impacting so many Ontarians and cost of living is one of those key issues as well. Why does Staples and Walmart get prioritized attention from this premier when people in Ontario are hurting? Catherine Fife is the MPP for Waterloo. It's another fair question to ask in all of this. This is the priority? I guess so. But a Service Ontario kiosk near you may be a little further away from you, depending on where the Staples store and or Walmart is located in your community. Your thoughts at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Brenda, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Frozen. (laughs) <laughs> I hope you don't mean that literally. You're just feeling it outside, right? But you're safe inside right now? I'm safe inside, but Good. the boiler went on a blitz, so it's 19 degrees in my apartment. It is uh, 81.6 Fahrenheit in my studio. Do you want to trade? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think 81.6 is like 26 degrees. Anyway, thoughts on the <laughs> Surface Ontario kiosks? Well, I'm not impressed that Doug Ford would use my tax dollars to uh, uh, put kiosks, Service Ontario kiosks, and wherever. I I read it on X that it was going to Staples uh, beginning of the week, and I wasn't impressed with that, period. There's one just around the corner on Victoria Street for me, which that's the one I go to, but it's just that, no, I I don't know. Because he's using the tax Taylor's dollars to do whatever he wants to do with. And no, he he's not accountable for, he needs to be accountable for his actions. He's not accountable for anything. All right, Brenda, I appreciate that call. I certainly understand the sentiment. And yeah, sounds like you're losing a location, a Service Ontario location of some convenience. Rory, good morning. Good morning, Mike. You know, Mike, um, I've been spelling scandal the wrong way for for a long time now because apparently it's spelled F O R D. It doesn't matter what this what what this government seems to do. Uh, there, there 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 seems to be an ulterior motive. Um, you know, whether it goes into a Walmart or or a Pet Value or or a Rogers retail store for that matter. You know, there may be some value to that, but, you know, why it wasn't single source, that's that's a real uh, tough one for me. I understand that there are unique cases and instances where you might go single source, and I'm not suggesting that you never go that route. But there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of retail stores. In fact, there are retail stores that the government owns itself and a large real estate footprint. So why do we feel the need uh, to do this, or, or why does the government feel the need to do this? 
and again, knowing the track record of the green belt and everything that it seems to do behind closed doors, why, why would, why would they do it with this particular thing? So what do we need? Do we need another police investigation again? What is it going to take to get some accountability? But yeah, it's, it's, it's really a shame and shout out to, uh, Richard, uh, for 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 breaking that story it seems like the media is more needed more than ever these days mike so go rangers go thanks rory i appreciate every bit of that and the richard in question is richard southern our queen's park bureau chief who did indeed break the story i think rory raises another interesting point in all of this why is it sole sourced are you doing a favor to somebody or for somebody at either Staples or Walmart or both. If you're not, by single sourcing this, it certainly could look that way, couldn't it? we got to get you to the City News Centre for an update. And then, uh, does this time of year, does this kind of weather get you thinking about sunnier, warmer places? You're not alone. Uh, we'll have that chat coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. To Don Omar sing Danza Kuduro make you feel warmer? I mean, it's entirely possible. At the very least, it might take you somewhere in your mind, somewhere warm, somewhere sunny, somewhere with sand. Angela Douglas is a travel advisor with Marlin Travel in Cambridge, joins us for a chat. Angela, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for making time. And I hope that song brought back some warm memories for you, too. It does, actually. <laughs> that was uh, a theme song at the Valentin Imperial Maya a few years ago when uh, my husband and I stayed there. So it definitely brought back those memories. Uh, lucky ch- Great De- choice. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass choosing all the music. And I guess luck of the draw there, Angela. I don't know luck how. Of the draw. Yeah, I don't know how Devin could possibly have known that. Uh, but speaking of that vacation that you were on a couple of years ago, where that became the theme song, so to speak. Uh, How busy are you right now with people looking to get out of this frozen hellscape? We are very busy. (laughs) We um, are booking appointments to ensure that we can provide the service to our clients that they are deserving of. And the phone is ringing all the time. So it is extremely busy, which is fantastic to have after, you know, still coming out of that COVID time. For sure. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. But when it comes to those sunny destinations is is mexico the the go-to cuba like and i i I have to confess angela uh i i may have mentioned this in our back and forth emails but i am woefully under traveled generally speaking i've only been to one 
resort vacation or been on one resort vacation in my life. So I'm very inexperienced. Well, in we'll have to change Okay, that, we right? will. I think you're right. I think you're right. But where are the most popular places for a getaway? Well, you know what? Uh, Mexico is still always a top spot. Jamaica is uh, really getting up there with um, popularity. Uh, Dominican Republic also um, very highly sought after. And now people that have traveled a lot are really looking to broaden their horizons and venture a little further south into the Caribbean. So some of those European-inspired islands, Aruba, Antigua. So there's so many destinations that are available. I think the great part about this is they're also all very accessible to us, right? Like a quick call to you over at Marlin Travel and we're good to go. Absolutely. You got it. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, we provide that personalized professional service where we've got the knowledge, we can help navigate the new landscape of what travel is now because everything is so automated that it, it can pose some barriers to some people. So we are still here and we're finding that people are really enjoying having somebody to talk to. We have an office. People can come in and see us. So we're not a virtual call center. You can actually come in and see our office and and experience that service. You mentioned COVID a moment ago, and I know how devastating, quite frankly, the pandemic was on the travel industry. How is it going in terms of recovery? Are we back to pre-COVID levels? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, you know, the experts are saying and our books are telling us that we are getting back to those pre-COVID levels. Uh, what we're seeing now, the trend is, is that people are traveling as multi-generation families. They're wanting to have a number of trips on the book so that they have something to look forward to. So they've got a trip book for 2024. They're booking 2025 and beyond. So um, it's really fantastic to see that people are wanting to give those experiences, have those experiences with their families and friends, as opposed to having material items. So it really is making a great comeback. I love the way you put that, those experiences over those material items, because I, I've begun to subscribe to that myself over the last many years. These are the things that are lasting memories. A a trinket or a doodad is going to end up in a drawer somewhere or maybe get purged sometime down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Whereas you can go and have those experiences and, you know, take pictures or just sit and enjoy and, um, you know, really take in those moments and, you know, you have that for your lifetime. I know, Angela, when you were talking earlier about this, uh, you know, one-on-one connection we can get coming into the offices of Marlin Travel, speaking to somebody just like you in person, it just made me think of how you also very much practice what you preach. When you are telling somebody that this destination is excellent or that destination is excellent, chances are you have been to it personally. Like, you do a lot of travel yourself, don't you? Yes. Yep, and if I haven't been there, then chances are one of my colleagues have been. So we really draw on our team effort here in the office. And, uh, you know, somebody's always off going somewhere. So if not, we can always find the answers. I know this is putting you on the spot a little bit and probably almost like making you pick a favorite child, but (laughs) is there there a go-to? Is there one that stands out to you or maybe even, you know, a top three? 
Well, um, I have been blessed with this industry and the opportunities given to me. So I will tell you a little bit about my most recent trip, which is really off the beaten track. And um, I was in Churchill, Manitoba. No, you weren't. Who goes to Churchill, Manitoba? (laughs) In October. I'm telling you, the weather was fantastic when we were there, which is actually a little alarming because you go to Churchill to see those polar bears. And um, it's a real environmental experience. It's a cultural experience. It is a Canadian experience. And when you see the bears are out there and they don't have the ice yet in October, it is a bit alarming. Um, So that is breaking into that ecotourism, the responsible traveler, which is really very popular these days. So that one is one up in the books for me for sure. Um, I have seen the beaches in Turks and Caicos, which are stunning. And um, I've also river cruised, which is a fabulous experience, an excellent way to really immerse yourself in Europe without the hustle and bustle of trains and buses. You just get on your river cruise ship and away you go. It's fabulous. I love it. And I especially love the slice of Canadiana with Churchill, Manitoba, first of all, because I am just, I am a huge fan of this country. And I think that we sometimes take it for granted or overlook it. And I understand at this time of year, for sure. Let's talk about Mexico. Let's talk about Cuba. Let's talk about warm weather places. But this country is gorgeous. And there are so many beautiful places to take in right here in Canada. Absolutely. Yep. And we can we can help our clients see those places as well. We're not just a south destination or Europe. We are around the world, including our own country. We have access to customizing tours, providing those personal touches. We even have exclusive departures that are led by our staff members so that you can really have a great experience in that destination. Are there places in Canada that are picking up in popularity as well when it comes to destinations? Well, you know what? The East Coast and West Coast are always very popular. Everybody wants to go out and see the East Coast and experience that lifestyle. And then the mountains are always a magnet for people. So the travel through the Rocky Mountaineer train, um, driving through the mountains, and then, you know, getting to the coast and exploring the, the West Coast of Canada is always very popular. Skiing in Quebec, that would be one that would be starting to make a real big comeback for us. No question. Uh, Do you, in fact, Angela, have the best job in the world? I believe I do. Yeah, I think you do too. Because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm picturing all of these places, even Churchill, Manitoba, in my mind right now. And I've actually, I've got this fascination. And there was just a story about it this morning in the paper with getting into Canada's far north. And mm-hmm. there was a, a story about uh, the indigenous-led experiences you can take in right now, and they're better in the winter time in the Northwest mm-hmm. Territories. I'm a bit of a wuss when it comes to the weather, but that sounds like something like a part of Canada. I would just dearly yeah. love to see. Well, and good for you because you can actually be outfitted for the clothing that you need to go up to the north. So you don't even have to invest your own money to keep this stuff in your closet. If you're only going to go one time, there's outfitters that can provide everything that you need to experience the far north in Canada. I am so glad I talked to you and I hope my beloved is listening so I can tell her. See, I just have to get it one time. I don't have to bring it home and keep it, right? No, that's right. <laughs> no, no, just one time rental. All right. Listen, Angela, I'll let you get back to booking all of those sunny destinations for the folks who are calling Marlin Travel well, today. Thank but you very much for this opportunity. I love to talk anything travel. I can tell. Thank you very much for doing that with us this morning. You're I really appreciate welcome. it. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. 
Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Angela Douglas is a travel advisor with Marlin Travel. If you know, you know. And basically across the street from Marlin Travel in Cambridge is the fiddle. Uh, You know I like me some fiddle in the Preston area of Cambridge, don't you? Anyway, I I wanted to talk to you about some of those uh, more off-the-beaten-path places that you have visited because as you heard Angela say, and if she didn't bring it up herself, I, I had some inside information on this. I was going to drill her on it. Like, who the hell goes to Churchill, Manitoba, right? But how cool is that? Anyway, uh, I, a, a, an opportunity came up that I just could not possibly pass by. So I'm going to share that opportunity with you right after this quick timeout. But keep it in the back of your mind because the 12 o'clock talkback hour begins at, shockingly, 12 o'clock. And maybe then between 12 and 1 when you can call, when you call in, you can tell me about the most off the beaten path, the you know the, the the most different destination you chose for a vacation in your life. But right now, we're going to take a quick break, and then coming back with that opportunity that I alluded to, it, it fell into my lap, and I thought, well, I have to give you the chance to know that this is happening. Like, how would you like to go to an NFL playoff game? No. Don't call me. I'm not going to give you the tickets, but I'm going to tell you how you can get them. So stay with me. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. All right, I promised you that I would tell you, and I am going to deliver on that promise. How could you possibly get your hands on tickets to an NFL playoff game. Best news of all, you don't have to go to Buffalo. I kid, not just because the Buffalo Bills beat my Pittsburgh Steelers on the weekend, but honestly, who wants to go to Buffalo in January? We could put you, though, in Ford Field in Detroit. Smart thing about Detroit, you see, is they built a stadium with a roof on it. Anyway, let's move into the conversation. Eddie Francis joins us. Eddie is the president and CEO at the WFCU Credit Union. Mr. Francis, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right, thanks. How about yourself? I'm doing well. You're right. There's a roof on it, and it's warmer down here in southwestern Ontario. So right? Much better, much better than Buffalo. Sorry, Buffalo. <laughs> so, no, don't be sorry at all, Eddie. You're right. And when you're right, you're right. No Feelings <laughs> don't have to be spared at all. Um, it's been a while since you and I have had the chance to chat, but I've been keeping up with you, and you are a busy, busy fellow. This credit union of yours is growing yet again. It is, Mike, and uh, it's good talking to you, and thanks for having us uh, to talk about this exciting opportunity. Uh, yeah, our credit union is growing. Uh, for, for your listeners that may not know, um, our home uh, where we first started was Windsor Family Credit Union, WFCU, in Windsor, Essex. And for 80-plus years, we've been providing uh, banking services to people in the Windsor, Essex area, uh, so much so that if you ask people down here, what, what, what financial institution do you deal with? They're either saying WFCU or TD. Uh, in early 2020, we had the opportunity to uh, acquire Education Credit Union, which had its roots in Waterloo, uh, Kitchener, and Cambridge. And uh, we've uh, rebranded it to ECU. So the WFCU family grew. Uh, it grew through uh, the Education Credit Union. And since then, we've in, in, in introduced new branches and New locations in Chatham and, and in London, so we're growing. We're growing along that 401 corridor, and all of that means better 
better products, better services, better rates for our members in the Kitchener-Waterloo, Cambridge areas. And uh, we're, we're, we're thrilled to be there and we're excited every, every single day with the opportunities that uh, the community presents. We have alluded to football and both the Buffalo Bills and in your neck of the woods, the Detroit Lions. There are Bills fans, a lot of them around here, too many in the radio station for my liking, if I'm honest with you, Eddie. But can you, can you tell me more about the partnership that WFCU has with the Detroit Lions? How did this all get started? Yeah, I know there are Buffalo fans in the region, uh, but there are also Detroit fans up there as well. And I remember that from my old days and some of the work that we've done with the NFL. Uh, the NFL has uh, has some great, great uh, fans and uh, a strong Canadian fan base, especially in Ontario, some with Buffalo and some with Detroit. Uh, being located uh, in Windsor, uh, the border is a way of life for us, Mike. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, very convenient for us to, uh, to be able to go to the game. In fact, we can get to a Detroit Lions game. We can get to a Detroit Red Wings game, to a Detroit Tiger game probably quicker than anybody in Toronto can get to a Leafs game or to a Raptors game. Uh, so the, the, we're one economic region here. And when the sports teams uh, have done well and other opportunities presented themselves, we've, uh, we've partnered, and we've partnered with the Lions in this case. We're the only Canadian uh, entity that I'm aware of that ha- is the official sponsor uh, of an NFL team. So WFCU Credit Union is the official Canadian credit union of the Detroit Lions, and uh, we're very pleased of our partnership with the Lions and with the NFL, which means that it provides us opportunities. It provides us opportunities to do things for our members. And one of those opportunities is when they get to go on this amazing run that they're on right now with all the excitement of them being in the playoffs with the second uh, home game coming up this Sunday against Tampa, we can go out and we can offer our members the opportunity to win tickets to go to an NFL playoff game. Okay, so how how does that like that almost sounds too good to be true, Eddie? How how can fans in this community enter? So we wanted to do something and uh, special for our for our members and for for the communities that we serve. So our marketing team said, how do we take this partnership and and we've got all these tickets? Let's give it out to our members. So what we're going to do is we're going to make it easy. And what we want is we want people in Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge. So we have branches in Cambridge, branches in Kitchener, branches in Waterloo. And we want people to be able to come in, fill out a ballot. And there's a reason for that. We want people to discover ECU. We want them to discover the WSU family. We want them to understand that we're a bank. And just like in Windsor, Essex, where, uh, you know, people think of us along the lines of TD, we want people in Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge to break away from dealing with the banks and come discover our financial institution. We do everything that a bank does. The only difference is we give you better rates. We give you better products, and we're going to give you an opportunity to go to the NFL uh, playoff game. But we want you to come into one of our branches, fill out a ballot. And that is, that is by design because we want you to experience the credit union experience. We want you to see that the branch is not transactional. You're not a number like you would be at a bank. But you're walking into a nice modern facility where customer service is going to be front and center, where you're going to get treated like you deserve to get treated, and where you'll be able to experience what, what it is that we do every single day for, for our members in Kitchener-Marloo and Cambridge. So you're going to come in, you're going to fill out a ballot starting today. Contest closes Friday. Your ballot gets entered into a draw. If you're the lucky chosen one, you're going to get two tickets uh, to go to Ford Field and attend uh, the uh, Detroit Lions-Tampa Bay Buccaneers game uh, that's scheduled for this Sunday. So... That's it. It's that easy. I come into the branch, I fill out a ballot, and that's all I have to do? That's all you have to do. That's how easy it is. I love it. I'm I'm curious about like the connection to sports even more generally, Eddie. Has, has there always been 
an emphasis on sports for the credit union? There's an emphasis on uh, sports. There's an emphasis on uh, arts and culture. Uh, there, there are a number of uh, different things that are available to uh, uh, to the credit union that we that we try to we try to draw out and we try to uh, we try to extend to our members. We have a program called the Inspire Program, and most people often ask what the difference between the credit union and the banks. And you know, we offer all the products, all the services, and as I mentioned earlier, better rates. But the difference between us and the banks is. We make a profit, but our profits don't go to shareholders. Our profit goes to our members. We're able to take our profit. We're able to put it back into the communities that we serve. So one of the programs that we have is, is called the Inspire Program. Uh, we run uh, community-based initiatives, whether it's tickets to sporting events or whether it's the spelling bees that we run through the grade schools and through uh, the different schools, and we're doing that in Kitchener-Waterloo and Cambridge, whether it's the events that we host in the different communities or the baseball teams, the hockey teams that we sponsor, or the charitable galas, or the different uh, worthy charities uh, that we provide support for. All of that is part of our Inspire program that we at WFCU and ECU believe in strongly. And that's the difference. When you're banking with us, you know that you're, you're not only getting better products and better rates, but you can know that you're doing good for the community too because we're turning around, you know, taking that profit and investing it back into the communities that we serve. Where can people go, Eddie, to get more information about your Detroit Lions ticket giveaway? Well, you can go to our website. Uh, you can first of all, you can give us a call if you want to give us a call. You can call us at our uh, contact center at one eight 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 seven six seven nine five three five, or you can go to our, our website uh, myecu.ca. And again, that's myecu.ca and there'll be more information. Uh, on our website, obviously, all of our branch locations are listed there with their phone numbers. Uh, so if you're going to walk into a branch, uh, um, the addresses are on there. You can find the one that's closest to you. Again, we've got locations in Cambridge, Kitchener, and Waterloo. Um, just walk in, fill out a ballot, and we'll get you to the NFL game. Really looking forward to uh, the great initiatives ahead, and this is a fun contest for sure. Eddie, thanks very much for making time for the show today. I appreciate well, it. Always great talking to you. Thank you. Stay well. Bye-bye. Eddie Francis is the president and CEO of WFCU Credit Union. Pop into one of their ECU branches, which is, of course, a division of WFCU Credit Union in Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge. Fill out a ballot and you could be going to that Lions-Buccaneers playoff game on Sunday at Ford Field. It is that easy. Details online at myecu. All right, we are fast approaching the noon hour, at which time we will get you an update from the City News Center. And then, of course, we will open the phones for the 12 o'clock talkback hour. It also means the end of the day for our friends at Rogers TV Cable 20, although I'm suspecting they are quite happy that this time has arrived for them because I I couldn't take it anymore. I had to to begin the process of uh, disrobing in the studio because it is so ding-dang hot in this place. If you feel like going to work is hell, I think I got you beat. This place is hot as that place. We'll play a little game of how hot will it get during our 12 o'clock talkback hour, and looking forward to hearing from you. To Robert and the entire team at Rogers TV Cable 20, thank you for producing the TV side of this show today. Rogers TV will be back with us tomorrow between 10 and noon. Right now, it's off to the City News Center for an update, and then the 12 o'clock talkback hour begins where we take your calls for 60 straight minutes. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570, and so long, Rogers TV.
would like to know Devin Robertson. You know, it makes perfect sense because I do believe this is Nelly, right? I do believe the song goes, you know, it's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. I am about uh, two-thirds of the way there. I can tell you that much. Uh, Devin Robertson, our guy on the other side of the glass, uh, which pervert requested this song, may I ask, if it's not too much? Uh, yeah, that was Nathan. <laughs> Nate Dog. I'll bet you it was our friend Nate Dog. Okay, uh, thank you for that. Thank you for uh, putting a little bit of humor into an otherwise stiflingly hot morning as we shift into afternoon. Uh, remember, my friend, that it's only Wednesday, but on Friday, on Friday, we play all requests when it comes to the music that we share with you on the show. So if you have not yet got your request in for this Friday, and some have already come in, uh, shoot me an email, mike at 570news.com, or when you call in, Devin will answer the phone. Tell him what you want. He's make. I think he's got a notepad or something, or he's like uh, photographic memory. He'll just remember. Whatever it is, we'll make sure we take note of your requests and play them during our all-request Friday. But a little bit on the irresistible side with uh, Nathan's request for hot and hair from our good friend Nelly. So I'm going to share this with you. I, I've, I know it's like a broken record, right? I've, I've complained about this before. I have also said they can put people on the moon. We can build space stations in orbit. And, and we cannot, for some reason, figure out our, our heating and cooling system in here. So there's been a lot of work. There are a lot of people running around in here. And what I have come accustomed, uh, grown accustomed to doing is when I come to work every day, even if, and this is around 6 in the morning, even if the temperature in the studio at that time is what you might refer to as moderate, I prop my door open anyway because it ends up getting stiflingly hot through the day. And so on Monday, I came into work, I did that very thing. And when one of our experts got to work, he tracked me down and said, why did you prop the door? Is it too hot? I said, no, but it's going to get hot because that's what happens. He says, no, we've been working on it. We fixed it. Please don't prop your door. It's going to throw everything else off. Fine. I said, I'm a team player. I keep telling you this. I never touch the ding-dang thermostat because I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to leave it at the midpoint setting. And as of Monday, I'm not supposed to prop my door open anymore. Here's what I think happened. I think, I think they're trying to trick me because... The thermostat in this studio has gone from centigrade to Fahrenheit. And just to let you know, just to let you know that I'm not making this stuff up, when I decided enough was enough and I started peeling off layers of clothing, I've left my door closed because I'm told if I open it, it's going to mess everything up. Temperature in this studio rose to 81.7 degrees Fahrenheit. 81.7. I put it into a little... uh, calculator online just to get the sense of what that would be in centigrade 27.6 degrees 81.7 fahrenheit in the studio it's a toddler it's hot so hot if you wonder why i'm in a bad mood sometimes it's because they are putting me in a sauna every day so we're going to play the game how hot will it get in the studio i'm very pleased to report it has since plummeted to 76.9. Let's see. So from 27.6 centigrade, if I put 76.9 into my little calculator here, it's now down to 24.9 Celsius. (laughs) That's like the air conditioning came on or something. We'll uh, 
play the game. By the end of the show, how hot will it be? I also quickly want to share, because this is very topical, uh, following our conversation about the relocation of Service Ontario kiosks into big box retailers like Staples and Walmart. I'm a little bit annoyed that we're spending some money to retrofit a big box retailer and we're helping the retailer make even more money. But Max, who follows these things much more closely than I, points something out, and I'm glad that he did. Uh, Max writes to Mike at 570news.com. Mike, your thesis of who profits in the Service Ontario story is misguided. Walmart and Staples are tenants to real estate trusts, namely Canadian REITs. This decision likely wouldn't be made at the store level, but more likely at the ownership level. These REITs typically specialize by either choosing residential or commercial retail and office. This relocation is trying to keep real estate analysts working in Toronto employed, not to prop up Walmart and Staples because office and retail rents are plummeting. Taxpayers will save money from this move. Just look at Chapters moving its locations into malls from freestanding locations. The real story, in my opinion, is the fact that politicians don't know how to relay this information to the public in what should be a, quote, good news story since it saves money. Any tenant pays to retrofit their office, store, warehouse, etc. The province wouldn't be exempt from that, nor would public-private operators. Very good insight. I'm glad we have such smart people listening to the show. Max, I appreciate you. Okay, it is the 12 o'clock talkback, so let's get to the phones. And first up is Jersey Bill. Good afternoon, Billy. I am sure they're going to throw that air conditioning on. Not for your benefit, but because it's going to save the equipment. The equipment's what's important. You're right. You're right, Billy. You're so right. I I hope you're right about the temperature going down. And 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 actually, you know, with the the magic of of radio, you're just a disembodied voice. You could strip down to your underwear and your socks. And actually, at 80 degrees, if you, if you realize that uh, our distant ancestors, when they were running around the savannas and the jungles, 80 degrees and the naked body is the perfect temperature. You know what? I'll let you know by the end of the hour. I might just be <laughs> naked by then, Billy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My gosh. All right. I, I, I'm call, I, I, I held off uh, the day after Ohio, uh, Iowa, but, um, you know, I figured I, I've had a little time to digest what happened out there. And uh, I, I can honestly say uh, I, uh, I certainly think that uh, that Mr. Trump needs to be uh, elected the schoolyard bully, or perhaps if he does get uh, um, uh, if he if he is uh, found guilty in one of the trials, uh, he could be the boss of the exercise yard, you know, because that's exactly how he's acting. Um, and uh, my feeling about uh, Joe Biden being the flawed human being, but still. Uh, recognizable human being has, if anything, been more, uh, been, been, uh, uh, I think, proven true of just from the way that he's carried on. And now he's attacking Haley, uh, telling her, saying that she's ineligible because her parents were immigrants. Well, you know, if that, uh, he, he seems to forget that his own mother came from Scotland, was not an American citizen to start off with. Maybe he could be disqualified for that rather than any of the actual crimes that he's committed in the past uh, eight years. Uh, I just, you know, <laughs> I just shake my head and hope for the best. Uh, I, I, I believe that he's on his way to getting a lower percentage of the electorate this time in the general election than he did previous. He's 
fooling himself if he thinks that this that this hardline uh, MAGA uh, majority of the Republicans is going to be enough to get him over the top because I think the independents going to turn away from him. That's just my opinion. Do you think there's any other outcome here, though, Billy, besides a Trump Biden rematch? Um, if uh, if uh, if neither one of them has a major health uh, consequence, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, like, like I say, it's, now he's 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 focusing. DeSantis is pretty much damaged goods. He's going to probably get out before the the circus comes to Florida because I think the last thing he wants is to lose Trump in Florida. That would just not look very good for him. Uh, and uh, I, I, I guess if the, the same thing happens to Haley in South Carolina, that'll be the end of her. But she she might be able to uh, uh, her, her she she might last. A, f- a few more uh, cycles of the, uh, uh, but uh, he just seems, just seems to have that strong, uh, and, and to hear them when they talk, when these Republicans talk, they say, uh, I mean, if the ones that don't say he's directly from God, they say, well, he's he's a poor, abused man, and look at, uh, you know, just because he committed crimes, they're actually making him uh, go <laughs> go before the judge in these different cases, uh, and it just seems that their minds are made up, and it's really unfortunate. You know, so I think it will be Biden and, and Trump, and I think if Biden plays his, his cards right, instead of 51 or 52 percent this time, he should get maybe 55 percent, and that might just do the Trump and the MAGA movement in, hopefully. All right, Billy, appreciate the insight and the thoughts about politics south of the border. It's getting very close to a presidential election in the States. Next, we go to David. David, good afternoon. You're on the 12 o'clock talk back. Good afternoon, Mike. Um, I'm sorry to report. I think you might have misunderstood the news when you came into work this morning. Uh-oh. Okay. What did I miss? Well, this I think you were reported something about Burger King and Tim Hortons. Yes. Well, it's my understanding on this state, around this state, Approximately 10 years ago, Burger King and Tim Hortons merged. I think that was Wendy's, wasn't it? Anyway, in this particular case, David, I'm, I may be forgetting some of the other uh, parts of the merger, but there are so many different Burger King restaurants. This is one division of that, if you will. This particular U.S. franchisee has just over a 1,000 Burger King restaurants, mostly in the northeastern United States, and that's the current acquisition. Oh, okay. I'll I'll, I'll wait to see, but uh, I believe when RCI or whatever the... RBI? Yeah, Yeah. their corporation moved in. They they took, uh, combined the uh, Burger King and and Tim Hortons at that time. Yeah, I think I honestly I think that was uh, was Wendy's, David. But because uh, I'm I'm looking at it like right here, restaurant brands to acquire top U.S. Burger King franchisee. It's called Carol's Restaurant Group, and that Carol's Restaurant Group owns more than a thousand Burger King franchises, and that's what Restaurant Brands International is about to buy. Okay, okay, thank you. You are thank most you. welcome, my friend. And and by the way, while we're talking. I want to thank you for pointing out uh, last week, I think it was, that uh, article about uh, uh, Alice and uh, Maple Leafs and all that story about it and where I could find it, because uh, you're quite correct. I was, I was, I was wrong in uh, 
at least not remembering them. That's okay. I'm glad you got to read it. I enjoyed it too, and uh, we can just keep sharing information like that. Yeah, thank you. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, David. You too. Nice to hear from you. All right, there we go. I do my best to present to you the accurate stuff, the interesting stuff. I'm glad David found both. A little bit of accuracy, a little bit of interest in there. It's the 12 o'clock talk back hour. Give us a call and let's have a chat. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It is your 12 o'clock talk back, the hour we set aside each and every day so that we can have a conversation that is directed by you. Among the games we're uh, playing in the studio today, how hot will it get? Currently 76.2 degrees Fahrenheit, which translates into 24.5 degrees centigrade. It's getting cooler. We we were at a high of 81.7 Fahrenheit in here earlier. Oh, I can feel it already. Parts of me are drying out. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Kyle, good afternoon. Good afternoon. I just want to get on this game here. So you said... Yeah. Oh, I already gave you the number. Sorry. 76.1 <laughs> now. Yeah. I said what? All right. So you said it's currently 24.5. Yes. And then before it was like, what, 31.2? It was. It got as high as 81.7. Uh, 81.7 Fahrenheit, which is 27.6 Celsius. 27.6, so 27.6 minus 24.5 is 3.1 degrees per hour, I would say. So let's go down to, I'm going to say 23.9. All right, 23.9 by the end of the show. I got you. All right, thanks, Matt. That's it. Thanks, thanks Kyle. Appreciate it. I'm just... They changed it to Fahrenheit to mess with me. I know they did. Mark, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ranger Mike. Ranger Mark, good afternoon. Mike, um, I remember you saying the Schleeman Center is one of the coldest arenas in the league. Oh, you know what? I should save all the warmth from this studio and take it with me to the Schleeman Center tonight. That's exactly what I was going to tell you. Attaboy. Take, I'm going to do some it. some of that heat to the Schleeman Center, Mike. Yes, I can. I mean, I'd like to. I'm going to try. And Rangers will rule tonight. Trust me on that one. All right. Call my Rangers. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I appreciate the call. Hey, I'm glad you brought that up because if it wasn't for my broadcast partner on Rangers games, Paul Fixter, and Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass, I would be completely out to lunch on this because, you know, you've been around this game long enough, you get into the habit of assuming And so I've done enough weeknight games in this league to know that they always start at 7 o'clock. In fact, all of the games now, with the rare exception in Owen Sound sometimes, and we had one in Barrie that started at 7.30 for some reason. Anyway, the games are consistently 7 o'clock this season. But Fixie had to call Devin on the other side of the glass because I I can't check my phone during the show. It's busy in here. Busy show for busy people, Farwell. And thanks to Fixter for phoning in to say, hey, uh, the game tonight in Guelph, 6.30. 6.30 start, not 6.30 pregame, 6.30 start. So I, I think unless the news center has checked their emails, this might be news to them too. I am going to assume, and hopefully I can let you know for sure by the end of the hour, that we will go on the air with our pregame at 6 
Okay? 6 o'clock pregame. 6.30 puck drop Sleeman Center tonight. I don't want you to miss one second of either the Harris Law pregame show or the game itself because it's going to be a dandy. Rangers and Storm tonight. All right, back to the phones. Grant, it's your turn on the 12 o'clock talkback. <laughs> Make sure crank up the heat there for you. They already have. Well, crank it up even further. No. Yeah. No. Then when you go to the arena, have it even twice as cold for you. It will be. I always wear my long johns when I go do a game in Guelph. I'm wearing my long johns tonight. Here's what I'd like to know, though. Why That's do they... It is allowed. I'm not going to wear them on the outside of my pants. They'll be under my pants. You don't need them on. I do so. And my toque. Got to be strong. Nope. Got to be warm. That's my mission in life, except not this warm. You see how hard I am to please? I'm very difficult to please. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned a couple of days ago about Dale Hunter not shaking hands at at a game or something like that. Well, I was reminded of that, yeah. A couple years ago when the Rangers won Game 7 of the playoffs, Round 1, knocking off the London Knights, there was no uh, handshake offered by the head coach of the London Knights. Oh, I think I would went right out there and have them do it again. I'm going to... You would have gone back out and and asked for more handshakes? Yeah, I would stand there... Stand there until he comes out. Until he comes out. (laughs) You know what? If I know Dale Hunter as well as I think I know Dale Hunter, you would be standing out there on the ice all the live long day. He would not come back out and shake your hand. Well, then I would go into the dressing room. Oh boy! Now, Grant, I'd like, I'd like to have a handshake with you. You're gonna have. You're gonna cause some trouble. Uh, and then that story that you said yesterday about the tarmac, someone was opening up, up the, the the door. Yeah, he opened up the door of the plane, fell out onto the tarmac. Sounds like something that I might do because I don't like flying. I want, you know, I, I want out off this plane. Well, don't get on the plane in the first place, then. Well, I have not. And they shouldn't. Why have the soup? Why we might as well just give the Super Bowl to uh, Mahoney? He's been there eight times. How many times has he won it? I think Patrick Mahomes has won it twice. I, th- I don't know. I think twice. He hasn't been there eight times already, has he? I I overheard them say that he's been there eight times. I think they should give another team a chance. And no, don't, I love dynasties. Forget about it. If you, I want excellence. I want excellence in all of the things so that we all have something else to shoot for. Grant, we all must strive for that same level of excellence. And then I think. A rule should be changed during the playoffs. If I'm the ref, no kneeling. What? What are you talking about? You're not going to change rules just because one team is good. Stop that. I would. No, well, I'm glad you're not the commissioner then. And then they they take so long. Uh, they they kind of walk around like they're running out the clock. Nope. First down, Buffalo. You're taking too long. Yep. Oh, I, oh. Okay, Grant, you, you're going, I don't know what even direction. Like, where did you get off the highway here? We were cruising along, and then all of a sudden you took an off-ramp, and I, uh, I, could, not, I could not keep up with you. I, I don't think Patrick Mahomes has even been in the league long enough to have gone to uh, uh, eight Super Bowls already. Yeah, he was only named a starter in 2018, so he definitely hasn't been to eight Super Bowls. I think he's won twice. 
I'm going to have to figure all this out. But anyway, that was a complete diversion. And I will just say again, I like dynasties in sports. I want excellence that the rest of us are chasing. It makes us better. If the bar is way up here, go reach it yourself. A quick break, an update from the City News Centre, and then we continue with the 12 o'clock talkback hour. All of it, part of the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Just to close the loop with Grant from his call earlier. What would I do without Wikipedia? Like sometimes, honestly, I hate to age myself here, but when I started working in this business, okay, we still had phone books in the newsroom and they were the most prized possessions you could lay your hands on. When I started filling in on talk shows, on this radio station, Gary Doyle was our afternoon host, and he had a Rolodex, literally a Rolodex on his desk, which was a treasure trove of contacts and phone numbers. And anyway, and that's what we would do. And and we also, when we had to look stuff up, I mean, we had to go to far different resources than the internet at our fingertips. These kids today have it so easy. I'll tell you. Tell you right now, these kids today. Anyway, Wikipedia informs me that Patrick Mahomes has led his team to five consecutive AFC championship game appearances. That's it. Not eight Super Bowls like Grant said. That's tied for second place all time with Ken Stabler, just so you know, for the most consecutive conference championship game appearances. But Patrick Mahomes also only has, as I guessed earlier, two Super Bowl championships. You don't got to slow him down at all until he catches and then surpasses Tom Brady as far as I'm concerned. It is your 12 o'clock talk back hour and you can give us a call and have a chat about something in the news that's on your mind or about whatever it is that's going on in your world. Let's just have a conversation about it. 519-570-2545, star 570 and 1-800-570-5715. Ernie, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. I just wanted to bring up uh, well, a couple things here, though. But sure. Mahomes is going to be his first away game in the playoffs this Sunday in his career, which is... First one wild. on the road. That's wild. So that's, that's pretty wild. The other thing I wanted to mention, because uh, he definitely gave me a little smile with Hutt, and here is, I just want to make you feel proud of that. That was the song that Ray Lewis always came out of the entrance with the doing his dance. Yeah, but Ray Lewis, he played for Baltimore, and I'm a Steelers fan, Ernie. No, no well, that's why I wanted to bring that up. I just wanted to give you a thought, and you made me smile and chuckle with that a little bit. Like, Renegade doesn't play in our house at all. You, know, you, have, to turn, <laughs> you have to turn that song off. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that. And uh, Go Ravens really pumped about this weekend. And, uh, you know, next time you play that song, think of Ray a little bit if you want to. So, If you say so, Ernie, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks for the call. Good to hear from you. I appreciate it. I thought that Ernie was going to give me a little bit of the Wayback Playback Machine because Houghton here 
And that's how I knew it was Nelly. Not necessarily my genre of music, but that was a big song. That was a hot track, as they say, quite some time ago at a radio station not far from here in this very city where I used to work that played hip-hop, R&B, top 40 music. Oh, we had so much fun there. We have a lot of fun here, too. Don't get me wrong. But in a previous life, we were having fun there. And I remember that Hot in Here song. Mary, good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. My goodness, that was quick. You're lucky today. Yeah, my lucky day. Now, listen, Mike. Yes. I I don't know how to put it. You're such a sweet, kind guy. No, I'm not. Well, yes, you are. Shut up. (laughs) Mary, I'm just doing that because I know you can take it. I'm I'm couching (laughs) this in that way. Now, I was a bit, little bit upset with uh, when Kyle said he likes to go to the mom-and-pop shop uh, in, in uh, Listable to get his service Ontario. And you kind of miffed it up, like, like, oh, well, they have to be retrofitted, too, blah, 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 blah. Well, aren't you for the... The little guy? I thought you were with the little guy. No, Mary, I am. I, I totally am. I was just trying to make the comparison. Like, I don't think that argument really holds up because, you know, if you're worried about retrofitting a Walmart, then you're worried about retrofitting well, Ma and Pa. No, listen, Ma and Pa's been there for years. They're and you want to help out Ma and Pa. You want to help out the little guy. retrofitting them every year. So that's, that's a useless argument. Okay. And... They will be paying their own rent. That'll be out of their, you know, whatever they get for doing the service. And I'm telling you, I go to New Hamburg, and I love that little place rather than Manitou and all that. Very personable. Okay? Okay. What do you think, Mike? I think you're awesome for supporting Ma and Pa. Okay, have a great day. Thanks, Mary. You too. Nice to hear from you. And I I really think, like, mountain meat molehill, tempest meat teapot. You don't love the sole sourcing of it. I get that part. I don't love that we as Ontario taxpayers are going to pay for the retrofitting. But as was pointed out by Max in his message earlier this hour, and Max knows these things far better than I, it's true. You would retrofit the Ma and Pa shop to suit your needs just like you'd retrofit the Walmart to suit your needs. So, I don't know. I I think really, like strictly from a dollars and cents perspective, and you know that I am very much a fiscal conservative, then this move is a money saver longer term for the province of Ontario. And and many have talked about, you know, further privatization of services and should we be happy with government services being delivered through private enterprise? I get that. It's a fair question. And we might feel differently about it. But to be perfectly honest with you, the fact that I might have to go to Staples or I might have to go to Walmart for a license renewal or a health card renewal or whatever the case may be, it it don't phase me one little bit. It does not phase me at all. But that's just me. And we're all different people here in this province, aren't we? Uh, I want to take you back to a little bit of that community town hall that was hosted last night with our local hospitals that are bringing us up to date. This was a really nice, transparent piece of Uh, public programming 
that was organized by our hospitals. Rogers TV broadcast it, which I thought was great to make it available to more people if you weren't in the audience at the Kitchener Public Library. And it was just, again, an update on where we're headed and why this new hospital is so important for the community. I think we understand certainly why it's important. We've got aging hospital infrastructure here, to be sure. It was, we were reminded, I was going to say it was made clear. The hope is, I don't know that it was a hard and fast deadline, but the hope is that the site selection committee, and we've talked about the three sites that they have shortlisted, we do not know. We are not privy to what those sites are for obvious reasons, real estate speculation, etc. But they are working through the three shortlisted sites and they anticipate letting us know by the end of March. So a couple of months now and we should know what the site will be for the new hospital here in the region. A couple of really interesting questions were asked though. One of them around the funding for all of this and this particular question that came up last night around the size of the parcel of land that we're looking for here, which is 50 acres. And if you were listening to the show about 10 days to two weeks ago, you would have heard a gentleman on the show who's part of a group that's advocating that the new hospital be built where the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium currently sits. And then we'll take the auditorium, the hockey arena and entertainment venue, put it downtown, revitalize and re-energize there, etc., and use the land where the odd currently sits for the new hospital. Problem is, if you're supporting that idea, the site of the odd is only 48 acres. So here's how the question was answered last night by Cliff Harvey, who's the Joint Vice President of Redevelopment at Grand River and St. Mary's Hospitals. Hi, my name is Stephanie Fritz. Um, Just curious about the um, land size requirement of the 50 acres and why it's so big. I know that there's hospitals in the GTA that are, you know, world-class hospitals doing it in a much smaller footprint. Um, Obviously a concern that there's not a lot of sites locally with 50 acres, which is gonna limit our ability to pick potentially a good site. Just wondering if we could get some clarification about um, that reasoning. Um, I'll gladly answer that question, Um, but I'll have to go back about 15 years ago. Um, One thing that I was for a decade was the senior architect for the Ministry of Health um, in uh, in Toronto. I oversaw the technical um, approvals for all the hospitals in Ontario. Uh, At that point, the Ministry of Health uh, put together a policy saying that new hospitals, whenever possible, should be asking for 50 acres or more. And the, the examples you give are really good. All the hospitals that we have in Ontario, particularly, say, downtown Toronto or in urban centres, um, they cannot rebuild. Um, and that becomes really problematic. So we realized uh, over a decade ago is that we have, we have the opportunity to find a site for a brand-new hospital. It's going to be a long-term investment. Um, the reason for that particularly is because it becomes an economic hub for the community. 
and it all, things grew up around the hospital. I mean, I'll just say one of the benefits of the program that we're looking at is the fact is Freeport, but the Kitchener-Waterloo site, the Grand River site today, uh, is going to be staying um, because it has a number of services around that um, that's important. But that site can't be redeveloped. Uh, it just is not possible for what we're, we're proposing. So the 50-acre site gives the opportunity not for just this hospital for the next 100 years or 200 years and possibly 300 years because that hospital that we're talking about today will probably be torn down and it will be recycled through the site. So we'll never lose the capacity to deliver health care to the community uh, where it's needed. That is Cliff Harvey, who's the Joint Vice President of Redevelopment at Grand River and St. Mary's Hospitals at last evening's Community Town Hall. That was at the Kitchener Public Library in the auditorium there and also broadcast on Rogers TV Cable 20. And what I really like about that answer, and look, we can quibble on the 50 acres. I mean, I'm not at the table, but what I really like about that answer and what I really think is important for us to remember in all of this is that we're not just building a hospital for today and for 10 years from now. Truly, what Cliff alludes to there, this is for a century and then some down the road so that the healthcare community or the healthcare needs of this community are always being met. We are trying to future-proof as best we can. And I think that is excellent thinking in all of this. There was also a really interesting question around funding. I'll get to, but first a quick timeout and then more of your calls. It's all part of the 12 o'clock talk back hour on the Mike Farwell show on city news, five seventy. Every day I come to work and the part I look forward to the most is having a conversation with you. I thoroughly enjoy our guests and the stories and experience that they can bring to our program, get us talking about things, get us thinking about things a little bit differently. But I love the opportunity just to have a chat with you, find out what's making you tick today. And so we do that every day during the 12 o'clock talkback hour. Let's get right back to the phones. Steve, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. How's it going, buddy? Great, thank you. How are you? Pretty good. Not good. Shoddy. Uh, I listen to you guys every day. Like, uh, I listen to your show every day driving around. Uh, I just wanted to real quickly, really quickly touch. You know, you had that lady there from the travel agency wondering why there's no ice in uh, Manitoba. Well, maybe just the act of uh, getting into a jet and burning jet fuel to go out and look at the pretty little uh, airs is actually taking away from their ability to, you know, like eat. And, you know, it's same, it's same along the same lines as people going to Africa on safari and all that stuff with all these yuppies filling up this place when they got barely anything to eat. They can't, they can't go out on the flows to get uh, anything to eat. Anyways, and I just wanted to touch on, the, your, uh, I don't know, this guy Joe that always calls in. You know, I guess his name is royalty around here, but uh, you can tell because he's got the perfect kids and the perfect wife and the perfect lake cottage and all that stuff. Uh, there used to be a question and answer uh, segment here. I like to ask you, you met the guy before. Guaranteed, he drives a big monster truck, and he's got a tattoo just on his left forearm so he can hang it out there and show everybody how cool he is. Anyways, Mike, you're the best. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. Thanks, Steve. I appreciate the call. That's bringing some fire to the 12 o'clock talk back, eh? I dig it. You keep bringing it. That's okay. Lisa, good afternoon. Well, I just went off on a totally different end. <laughs> That's all right, eh? About, so I'm just like, <laughs> not putting my arm out the window today. That's for sure. Anyone else is pretty brave. Um, 
Yeah, I was listening to what you were talking about with the hospital, and and um, I mean, I have to applaud these people for if they are planning that far in advance that they figure once they pick a site, it's going to be good for a longer period of time. They're not looking for a, a make do um, for the you know for the immediate future. And then when you start looking at tearing something down and having to move it, then that brings in a whole other conversation, and and there's going to be all kind of, of debate about where you would put something and what you'd have to move if you move the auditorium from where it is. So I'm, I'm hopeful for them, you know, that they're going to be able to find a, a bare piece of land. And parking is always such a big deal around hospitals. I went down to London Health Sciences for four months for when my grandson was born. And um, I can tell you, beautiful facility, lots of parking, but there were still lots of days where it was crammed full. So... Um, you definitely want to think long term with with something like that, and um, I hope they find a site that that suits. If if I was picking, I can tell you, I wouldn't have put Amazon by the 401. I would have put New Hospital there because I bet they had enough room there. Anyway, have a good day, Mike. Thanks, Lisa. Appreciate the call. I've heard that argument before. You you may well be right, but that ship sadly has sailed with the Amazon site being potentially something that could have been used for a new hospital. Grant, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. I have uh, something that i been on my bra for a couple of days about my, about the hockey system and shaking hands. And uh, I could tell you lots of stories when back in my day when I was raising children and in the hockey system. But having said that, the uh, major thing that uh, I see, and watching my sons raise their children, the opportunity to play sports is part of their education, in my view, and it gives them an opportunity to find themselves. But the most important thing, as I taught my children, and I was, we were fortunate here in our small community. Uh, we had coaches that did uh, coach uh, both sides of the game, the mental part, the sportsman part, the three parts that go with it. And I also worked with a lad who was in a, coached in a bigger center, and he said that they were having that problem with coaches. So my comment is you were bang on the money. When it, the statement that you said uh, about coaching, the coaching staff need to realize there's more to the game than just playing the game. It's the mental thing. And like one of our coaches who was a high school teacher, a phys ed teacher, etc., and he always told the team when they didn't play well, well, team – we're losing, and that's because they're playing the game better than we are. So we have to play better, you know. And that would be between periods, whatever, and at the and at the end of the game if they lost. And that was the attitude. And in my view, it's the attitude is the most important thing of our coaches and the parents. In most cases, it's not the coaches most cases it's the parents if we can't control ourselves we shouldn't be allowed to be 
responsible for uh, guiding and coaching other people, kids. Thank you. Thanks, Grant. I appreciate the call. So just to kind of close that loop, I had brought up the other day the story from down in Newfoundland where minor hockey associations said, that's it, we're done with the post-game handshake because the post-game handshakes are leading to too many suspensions. They're causing trouble. And I'm like, whoa, hang on a second here. Pump your brakes. It's not the handshake line that's causing trouble. It's the people in the line. And and maybe, just maybe, if the coaches behind those benches taught the players respect for their opponent and sportsmanship, we wouldn't have problems in the handshake line. So for me, banning the post-game handshake is a cop-out. It's essentially saying we don't want to do the hard work of cleaning up our act, so to speak. And I applauded the handful of teams that, since that edict was announced before Christmas, went out and shook hands after games anyway. Good. Keep doing it. Because that's the way it should be, as Grant alludes to. And yes, parents are just as responsible in all of this as the coaches. But the adults in the room have to adult, and they have to transfer those behaviors and those emotions to the players. You can go out there and compete as hard as you want, but if you can't shake the hand of your opponent at the end of the game, because that's what it is, then we've got a real problem here. And I think what Newfoundland and Labrador are doing with the post-game handshakes in hockey is the sign of a real problem that we're not willing to address. Okay, we have uh, run ourselves up against the clock. I had said to you that I wanted to play another portion of that community town hall about our hospital last night around funding and i'm sorry but i've got three minutes of audio and one minute of airtime so that's the i I can't fit the three minutes into the one it does i tried the math doesn't work uh so if you'll bear with me please i'll i promise we'll get to it tomorrow uh because i think it's pretty interesting with the question and and how it was addressed in what was an important community town hall last night uh, I got to get out of here. Apparently, I have to get to Guelph a half hour earlier than I thought I did. Thanks to Paul Fixter for reminding us. It's a 6.30 puck drop tonight at the Sleeman Center. So we are going to have a pregame show, Rangers and Storm 6.05, right here on City News 570. Rob Snow with Now You Know is coming up right after this update from the City News Center. And then you and me, we'll get back together tomorrow morning at 9.00. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Bye for now.